There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the do I. Right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. You know him. You love him. This is his fourth appearance, I believe. Yes, fourth appearance. We got my buddy Kyle Steven all the way. Kyle Stevens, I'm sorry. Um, all the way from uh, fucking Illinois. And uh, I'm excited to have him back on. And uh, Kyle, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing very good. Uh, just kind of hanging out and you know, jamming some guitar before this all came up. Yeah, I saw that, and I was I was wondering, I was hoping that, uh, I mean, I'm sure you saw the tweet, but I was hoping that uh, since we are dissecting the Boxcar Racer album tonight, that you were learning all the riffs from the album to uh, play here, you know, for, like, reference. Oh, of course, yeah. No, I, there was definitely one song that I was getting into, uh, and I'll bring it up when, uh, when we get to it. But, yeah, I, I just, like, I had the note in my head and I was like, Oh, I want to play that note. And then I, I ended up playing the whole song in like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they're, uh, they're Never fun played. songs to play. I haven't played them in a while, but, it, uh, like all systems go. I used to, uh, maybe I could play it again. I remember I used to play it on guitar and it's really fun. It's surprisingly more difficult because the way you have to like move your hand around, but it's really fun. Like some of those songs are just really fun to play off that record. Yeah, and that that was actually it. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry I to ruin the fun, everyone. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no big deal. It was just, yeah, I, I had the note from that song stuck in my head, the intro note, and I was just like, oh, man, I just want to hear that. And is then, it, like, is it just, an A? It's I, A, I'll, isn't it? I think I'm I'm like the worst like guitar player ever. Like I I couldn't tell you what note it was in. I just I you're not the worst. Most people can. I realize that most people can't. So nah, dude. <laughs> That ain't nothing. Most people can't. I bet Tom DeLong. I bet Tom DeLong doesn't know what <laughs> fucking note it starts on. There was a great video of him like trying to like 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 get the count on a song with Travis, and he's like, "This is this is my guitar picking pattern. I don't know what count it is." And Travis is just like, "It's four four. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how to. Like, I don't know how to count. I never learned. <laughs> Fuck, you know what, though? I mean, that's uh, not to get sidetracked here. I mean, I know it's going to happen because that's what I do. I still fucking sidetrack. But, uh, you know, like like to his credit, though, and I've, I've said this enough, it's like Tom is a testament really to you don't need to have music theory. You don't need to have lessons and all this shit to make music that people want to hear or be successful and not be talented in your own right. Like Tom DeLong does what Tom DeLong does. And no one else can really do it. I mean, there's obviously millions of bands who have tried to, you know, rip off Blink-182, but there's only one Blink-182. And, you know, he may not be, uh, you know, the most, uh, not a guitar virtuoso. He may not, you know, know no basic theory, but the motherfucker can still play. And, you know, is a good testament to that where it's like it really doesn't matter how much of, you know, that other mm-hmm. shit you know. You know, that's not what makes a good uh, musician or songwriter. Absolutely. It, it it's it's shocking to know like how simple songwriting and just you know structuring songs could be and when you're not trying to overcomplicate every riff and every part of a song and if you just break it down to like just the most like minimal things like what tom does a lot of the times 
it can be a really great song without having it being like overly complex and like too dynamic. You can keep it simple and still write a really good song. Well, I think I think he holds so much importance too, and I mean, just really him and Mark as well for bass players. But like, I think you need artists like that who are big, who like you know young young kids and shit like will find and they're obtainable you know those songs are obtainable to learn they're not they're not like it's not learning some van halen guitar solo it's not some kind of insane like joe satriani thing like these are songs that you can learn within i mean like once you play long enough you start learning by ear in like minutes but it's like even even without that like you can learn these songs very easily and they're good songs to start out on, which are also good for you because if you try playing really hard shit when you start out, you're going to get frustrated and go, fuck this, I want to do it. You would be more likely mm-hmm. to continue on if you learn that riff to damn it, which, you know, pretty easy to learn. But you learn that and you get stoked you can learn it so, you know, so fast. And I think that's probably part of why he's so big. Because that's the other thing I want to get into with, like, like, I feel like there's parts of this Boxcar Racer album that, like, really really showcase why like Tom DeLong is so I mean me and you me and you are testaments to that like fucking you mold so much off of him you know what I mean like he's more than a musician like he's like influenced generations of kids in like the way they dress their humor the way they think like all these different things and I think a lot of it is also rooted in that where he he's an obtainable musician you know like that's a person that you can learn his shit from the beginning you can buy a guitar and go learn Blink-182 songs yeah, he, for me, like everything that he did, uh, look wise, musically, was it, it was relatable. It was something that, like, like you said, it was like obtainable. Like he didn't wear like crazy flashy clothes and like didn't do ridiculous things with his hair or like, you know, he didn't play complex, ultra complex riffs. Everything was super simple for the most part. So like dressing like him or you know, kind of getting into that humor, like, wasn't a stretch for a lot of people. It was easy because, like you said, it's obtainable. And being able to just kind of, at a young age, kind of find someone that's much older, but, like, in, like, a very popular band that, like, I can relate to was huge because then it made me feel like I wasn't far off from being able to attain something like that if I wanted to. Oh, I mean, I mean, I think too. it like it just goes it goes for generations and generations. Like it's not just one of those things where like, you know, like if you if you were like age 18 in the year 1999, you were like influenced by him because it's not like that at all. It's like there's still people who, you know, I mean, like teenagers and shit who are still hearing them for the first time. And it's making as big of an impact as, you know, an enema of the state came out, you know, 21 years ago. Like it's still happening. And, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a testament to that because there's a lot of bands who I mean maybe maybe they captivated you know a small a small audience, but I mean he just he still seems to have that, and I think it's also the reason why even though he's I want to say he's 44, I think I saw that today. So he's oh actually no fuck that this is getting okay. So this is funny, uh, people. <laughs> Kyle reminded me of this. Uh, I believe yesterday, this was a pure coincidence. I've been talking to Kyle about doing this. We wanted to do another album analysis. We had a fucking blast doing Insomniac. And uh, we wanted to do Boxcar Racer. And uh, I just, I'm like, hey, you want to do it this weekend? And uh, we're doing it it Saturday night. 
But we're going to release this on Tom DeLonge's birthday, December 13th. And uh, so I take that back. Right now as I'm talking, Tom DeLonge is 44. But as you hear this, that man is 45. Happy birthday, brother. Thank you for fucking uh, for everything. And uh, your your birthday gift is this fucking podcast. And uh, I mean, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good gift because we're just going to verbally yeah, we're going to verbally jerk them off for three hours, basically. <laughs> So, so yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I hope I mean, you can last that long. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. But, but like, he's just, you know, he's a goddamn, he's a goddamn hero to all of us. So happy birthday, man! And uh, and uh, if my, if I had my, actually, that's what I should have had. I wish you were learning the riff to know it isn't, because now would be the time to play no it isn't on here. Because it's also, it's also the it's also the anniversary of that it's, song yeah. getting released. Uh, what was that? Two thousand would have been like two thousand six, two thousand seven. I think it was, was two thousand five because I was in high school and I'm pretty sure that was my senior year. Oh my god! If it's that, then it's a landmark birthday. That's fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> it's the fifteenth anniversary of No, it isn't. <laughs> Let's slit our wrists and burn well, down something beautiful, you guys. Uh, yeah, <laughs> man, I remember when I was when when I heard that song. That yeah. Good memories. That is a good. That is a good song. I, I'm sorry. I know it's a fuck you, Tom song. No matter what Mark says, but it is a good song. Let's just be honest. But anyways, we're not. We're not here for that song. We're here to talk about the motherfucking birthday boy, Thomas DeLong, Thomas Matthew DeLong, and uh, I. I'm. You know what? I'm gonna say it for the sake of the podcast. You can't see, but uh, right now I'm wearing my Macbeths and my uh, my Atticus my Atticus uh, T-shirt. And I have a uh, uh, ooh, how about a Hurley hat backwards, and and I have my lip ring in. <laughs> so yeah, hey, I got I got I got my left hand uh, nails painted. That's my left hand. <laughs> I mean, perfect. And uh, I was actually going to say I also have my nipple pierced, but I think that's Mark who who had a pierced nipple. If yeah. I remember my Enema of the State poster with them all shirtless, not just shirtless, <laughs> pantsless, shirtless, all those things. Oh yeah. But uh, but yeah, Boxcar Racer. I mean, there's tons of. They're an interesting band because it's one album. That's it. There, there's one album that that's all there is. Um, you know, but there's so much to that band. That band, like, had a lasting influence. I mean, once again, something that I think people are still discovering, but also the impact it had on Blink One Eighty Two, on Tom in general, like all that different shit, which we're about to get into. But I mean, we we should start though, like we did with Insomniac. Like, just the first time you heard it. Like, did you hear it when it first came out? Like, like if I'm thinking, because I know we've talked about this before on past episodes, but like by this time, I you were already a Blink fan, right? So it's like when this came out, like you were already yeah. a fan of Tom and everything. Yes. Okay. Like, like did you get it like right when it came out? Then, like, so you you were you were on it right away. You were fucking privy to this. Yeah, I I mean I couldn't tell you like the date that I heard this by any means. Um but I was pretty early on the the boxcar racer train. Um I do remember roughly hearing I feel so for the first time and it was on the radio and it was like one of those like I don't know if it was like if it was like just a single that was already like out for a couple days or if it was the day it got released as a single. But I remember listening to the radio and they announced this is 
Boxcar Racer, side project of Tom DeLonge from Blink-182. Here's the new song. And I remember, like, listening to the whole thing and just being like, what in the world is this? Like, I know it's Tom, so I'm immediately relating it to Blink. Mm. But there was such a distinct difference that, like, I couldn't, I, I couldn't draw myself away from it, even if it wasn't anyone from, like, if there was no one in Blink, this song still would have captivated me just because it was so like lyrically relatable, even at like such a young age for me, but just the sound, the style, the lyrics, like everything was just so captivating. I couldn't turn the radio off if I wanted to, you know, and, and actually what I, what I think we should do because my first, the first song I ever heard from them was I feel so. So actually I think we should start going track by track and we'll start here since it's the opening fucking track. But, uh, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, like I was thinking about this today and I really hadn't before because, and I, I'll get into a second when I heard them, but like the context of when this came out, it was released in May of 2002. Like, it's not that this record by any means, like, it's not like boxcar racers sounded like a lot of what was on rock radio at the time, but it was heavy enough where I feel like it should have like, like, I, I think it fit in on rock radio really well then. Like, even though it didn't sound like. Like you think of that time, like there are bands, like there are some of the postcard hardcore bands. Like I think Finch was doing decent. The used were kind of, you know, that was kind of starting story of the year. And yeah. like, obviously this isn't like new metal or anything like that. But you had like shit like that going on. Your fucking PODs, your puddle of muds, like all that. Even though once again, like boxcar racer sounds nothing like that. I feel like I feel so had a place in like rock radio at that time. Like if you look what was out, I'm surprised this wasn't a bigger like fucking radio hit. Like, I don't, I like, I never, I've never heard on the radio since. Like, it probably got airplay when it came out, but I think by, like, a year or two later, like, it's not something you ever hear on the radio, like, ever. Yeah, no, I, I, maybe I, I've heard it once, like, on, like, late night, like, let's play, like, you know, B-sides of, like, bands and this and that, like, after 10 o'clock on, like, a Friday night. But Which, if you're it. playing Maybe those, that means that they don't get played at all. Like, when they go in that section, that is, that's, like, we're playing obscure things that never get played. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But yet, like, I maybe have heard it on, like, satellite radio maybe once or twice, but, like, you don't hear it. But funny enough, the first time I ever heard the song, my introduction to Boxcar Racer... And here's here's what's interesting. Here's why I think it, it's really like you talk about like the impact that this record had on Blink-182 sound. When you heard it, it was drastically different. It didn't sound like Blink. And that's totally right. But by the time I heard it, it it's funny. I, and this is, I, I, I text you this. I'm wondering what you're going to think. I feel like I know in my heart what it is. But the way I found Boxcar Racer was kind of fucking Joser, I think. I was probably like... I was probably like 11 and uh, this was this would have been like 2004 or 2005 blink 182 I think had just broken up and uh, I was watching Nickelodeon and for like a minute there they did these promos I don't know if anyone like remembers these where like they would play like fucking a piece of a cartoon and but just with no sound there'd be a song over it and like and, and like they're all like pop punk songs and shit like think of think of what would be out in like 2002 kind of like we were talking about like story of the year like i think there was a blink 182 song but i feel so was on one for like i think like fairly odd parents and at that time i had already heard blink 182's untitled like that had already come out 
And I wasn't a big Blink, like I wasn't a big Blink Rainy Two fan. I didn't own the album, but I had heard the songs and all that. So like when I heard it, it didn't sound not like Blink One Eighty Two. So when I heard that song, I thought it was Blink One Eighty Two for like the first two or three years I had heard it, and I thought it was just on the Untitled album. I'm like, that sounds like like by that time I'd heard like Down and Feeling This and all that shit. So I'm like, it's off that album. Like I didn't know that album, but I'm like, I know it's off that one because it just sounds like that. So, like, for one, I think that really shows, like, how much, like, this album does influence where Blink-182 goes later. But, uh, anyways, a year or two after hearing that, I finally got interested in Blink-182. I, I got into them after they were broken up. But I was on iTunes one day. And at this point, I was still thinking it was a Blink-182 song. But I had, had I, I had, like, went through their discography and could never find that song again. I had no clue where it existed. I'm <laughs> like, I still thought it was a Blink-182 song. And then one day I was on iTunes just fucking going through. This was like 2006, I think, like summer 2006, I want to say. And I just randomly came across it. And I'm like, holy shit, like what is what is this? So like that was the other icing on the cake. Like this was just about the time where I had finally heard all of Blink's albums. Like this is I just got into them, but I got to the point where they're broken up and I've heard everything now. And then all of a sudden I get this thing where I'm like, what the fuck? Like there's this band with Travis and Tom in it. And it's like, holy shit, there's a whole album. Like it's a whole new thing to discover. Like I was so excited, but like, really it it is interesting because like by the time I heard it, it was not a shock, but I'm putting myself in your shoes and you're talking about it in a pre, a pre untitled blink. This is fucking different. Like a lot of people, I think this was their intro to the band and it really is like like you have to take out like Blink One Eighty Two post you know Untitled. This is like really left field for them. You know, I mean, I I think this one definitely is. But I think I think overall like it's a strong album opener. Like I think this is easily the best one to go in, and a really good single too. Because I I was thinking like last time you know we were talking with Insomniac like how we thought the singles were kind of silly and how they made no fucking sense. This one's different. I think this was a good idea for like the first single. Like I, I thought this worked really well. Like, like, do you think this was a good start off one, or do you feel like they should have chose something different to, uh, you know, like promote them starting out? Uh, no, I think this is pretty much like about a perfect uh, single that you could ask for, especially given like the the height of Blink's popularity at that time. Uh. And obviously there was a gap in between uh, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket and uh, the self-titled, untitled record. Um, and so this gave us just enough to be like, hey, Tom and Travis are both in this band. So it's still blink, but it sounds different. And I don't think anyone would have known that this would have <clears throat> eventually become the evolution of what blink sound would have turned into. But at least it was something that sounded familiar enough that can kind of pull a lot of people in as far as like hitting those early record sale numbers or whatever. Oh yeah. But it still was different enough that it was like, okay, this is not blink. This is something different. It's just members are associated with it. Cause that's really what Tom wanted. Tom wanted an outlet for songs that he thought were like too dark and too heavy for blink 182. And then also to do kind of a, uh, Ode to like you know old po and like post hardcore like original like not not like the used and bands like that but like Fugazi and Quicksand 
yeah. and Jawbox and like shit like that. Like it was more of an mm-hmm. ode to those bands. And uh, and the other interesting thing, because I, I was just I was reading up today on some stuff, but uh, like he was talking about that, and it's like this album is kind of an ode to that, and it also, which who knows, because every now and then he loves to do that thing where he just hints at shit. But at least at one point, he did think that the band was just kind of that one idea. Like, this was supposed to always be a one-off. Like, it was just kind of like, that's our purpose. Like, we're doing this. It's an ode to this sound. And it's kind of an outlet for him to get this shit out, you know. And, uh, and I mean, at least at the time, when he, whenever he said that, you know, he thought that that was it. Which, uh, you know, I, I think is also interesting because it makes you wonder if he was writing you know, darker songs for take off your pants and jacket that ended up getting shot down. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if he ever brought shit to them and like either Jerry Finn or Mark and Travis were like, this is too left field, you know, like, cause that makes you kind of think like, I mean, obviously there's like elements of it and like stay together for the kids. Like I'd say that's a close one where I go like, okay, that kind of has like a boxcar racer vibe. If there, if there is yeah, one, absolutely. you know, like it kind of like mm-hmm. foreshadows that, but like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I think uh, I think it would be interesting to think, like, what Take Off Your Pants and Jacket would have sounded like if they started that heavier element earlier. You know, because obviously they do it on the next album, on Untitled. You hear this album's influence on Untitled. But, uh, you know, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket being darker, I don't know. That would be that would be kind of interesting. Cause it, and, that's, and that's the other thing going through this album is, like, like, tell me if you do this, like, cause, cause for this, I'm very guilty of it, including getting ready for this. I very much was going through the songs on this record and going, this song could be an, a, either an angels and airwaves song, or this one could be a blink One Eight Two song. Like, do you find yourself doing that a lot when you listen to this album or does that not really get in your head? Um, there was always at least angels and airwaves connections, uh, well before this just little things here and there sprinkled throughout the album where like once I started listening to AVA, I would go back randomly and listen to this album and be like, Oh, that's an angels and airways hint. That there's a hint of AVA in this years before, but now going through it this recent time, you know, a couple times over, I am starting to find those little, like, I guess like eventual like blink kind of tie-ins and I'm not just talking about like elevator with Mark, but like other little things that definitely could have sounded like maybe they would have been on the self-titled untitled album. Well, and here's uh, an interesting thing. Like I have this note here and like, and I really got to say this, like you, you telling me the first time you heard, I feel so is getting me in a different mindset because I wrote down that this song on the album sounds one of the most Blink-like songs. But the thing is, I'm going through it from someone who heard this post-Untitled. When I feel like mm-hmm. this song could fit on Untitled, like, like, do you feel, like, like, do you at least agree with that? Like, could you hear this on Untitled? Maybe. Uh, going, I guess, yeah, going from someone who's kind of followed the Blink path from, I'd say, about, you know, 99 on. You're a fucking OG. And hearing, yeah, I mean, technically there's years before that, apparently from my brothers, but I don't really recall these things. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, um, I can, I mean, I guess I can kind of see it on like the, the self-titled untitled record, but it's, I, maybe it's just a little too dark and heavy. Uh, I say maybe it's too heavy. Mm-hmm. 
Uh-oh. Oh, sorry, dude. I don't know what the hell just happened. Yeah, me me neither. Uh <laughs> Sorry, folks. That was a uh, that was a uh, technical difficulty. Uh but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try to get back to where I was. Um I, I it it, it could have been on the self-titled untitled album. It might be a little too heavy mm-hmm. for that for that album, but I can definitely see it maybe from your point of view where you didn't really hear Boxcar until after self-titled was already released, essentially. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I so totally, making, I come from from a different perspective, totally. Yeah, so see, like seeing and hearing that would make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not so much going my route or like the other way, but I can kind of see it a little bit. No, see, I like this, though. Um, this is interesting because it also... Once again, because because we are getting into like the effect that it had on Blink and Tom and all that, this is how much of that effect it has. That me and you can look at the same song and see it differently just from when we were fans of the band. You can't do that with mm-hmm. a lot of like. Think about that. Like that. That really, I feel like, goes with what we're saying. Of like, you know, this. Sh- I mean, we're not blowing anyone's mind. I feel like most people who are fans already know this shit. But like, just how much this ended up affecting Blink, you know. And uh, and I I know I know we'll probably get into it. I think you even brought this up on the Blink Twenty Two episode, but how it's not all just negative; it's positive and negative. Like the, it, like it affected it mm-hmm. in fucking both ways. But uh, yeah, like like I definitely I think I've done it before, but I really especially think I did uh, listening. You know, leading up to this because I knew we were going to do it. But I I do find myself guilty of uh, hearing songs on this album and going you know, placing it. There are a couple where I will say I don't place it in either categories, but most songs I am guilty of like, okay, this one, this one sounds like Ava or this one sounds like normally untitled blank. Very few songs on here. I would say sound like, and see, that's the other thing is even though boxcar racer for a while, I think I would hear certain songs and go like, Oh, it sounds like blink without Mark Hoppus. But as I listen more throughout the years, I realize that that's not the truth. Like, it does sound like its own thing. And even though some of it sounds like Blink, it sounds like untitled Blink. Like, it doesn't sound like anything before that. It just sounds like a certain era, which isn't even yeah. really fair to say because it was influenced by it. So it's almost like untitled Blink sounds like Boxcar Racer. I blew everyone's fucking mind right there. <laughs> <laughs> Boxcar Racer doesn't sound like Blink's untitled. Blink's untitled sounds like Boxcar Racer. I just had to say it again for everyone. <laughs> It's so profound. <laughs> yeah, it's it, 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 it's almost like uh, like kind of how like you I'm a, yeah you said you heard the untitled before this. Yep. It'd be like if like if Blink's trajectory went the same, but you just flipped when this album was released. If you like put it after self-titled, then the the, the heavier, darker elements make more sense. Ooh, you're fucking right, because, man. Because, because it is more of a, a darker, heavier transition going into uh, self-titled, untitled. And then if Boxcar came after that, then it's just all heavy and all dark. Well, ba- basically, like like to your point of what you're saying, I mean, we put ourselves in like an alternate universe. Blink breaks up after untitled. Travis goes with Tom instead of going with Mark. And this is what they do. That it would honestly be a natural progression. Like when it, like if you start yeah. thinking it like the way you're saying, and I've never thought of this before, but if that's what happened after Blink broke up, I don't think that would have actually that may have been left less left field 
than Ava was. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. Okay, yeah, let me ask you this. Let me ask you, th- and, and you know what? I think this is going to go back to how me and you kind of look at it differently with, with this song being on Untitled. Which one do you think is more, which one were you more taken by? Hearing I Feel So, only know, you know, with Blink before that, or hearing The Adventure after Blink had broken up. Which one, and I don't actually, let me put it this way. I don't know if The Adventure is the first song you heard from them. Which one shocked you more differently? Like hearing Ava for the first time or hearing Boxcar Racer for the first time? Definitely hearing Ava. Uh, It was another one of those, I heard it on the radio type deals. I was outside of the skate park at a McDonald's parking lot and literally just sitting in my car waiting for like someone to show up. And it literally was the guy just being like, hey, Tom DeLonge's new band, Angels and Airways, is out with a new song called The Adventure. And I hear like the spacey intro and the really like delay long guitar riff. And I'm like, what in the world is this? Like at first I didn't know what to like think of it because it's like, it's not Blink, it's not Boxcar. And this, again, this is me already hearing Boxcar at this point, so when I heard he was even doing a new band, I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Probably like a box car type thing. And then I start hearing these delay riffs and like these really like big open, you know, crescendoing like parts. It, it was definitely different. I liked it. It just took me a lot longer to warm up to. Yeah. And you know, I, I would have discovered cause angels and airwaves was coming out. Like, like I, like, cause I, since I really got into them after blink had broken up, like, I saw Plus 44 and Angels and Airwaves, like, form. Like, that's when I was on. So, like, I heard Angels and Airwaves about the same time I heard Boxcar Racer. Like, I was discovering them both around the same time. But I would say that Angels and Airwaves, I still have the same view as you. Angels and Airwaves was more of a shock. I heard The Adventure for the first time. I think I I saw it, too. It was on Fuse. I don't think I heard it on the radio for the first time. I'm pretty sure it would have been Fuse or I discovered, fuck, I mean, I discovered so many bands through, through that, through music videos on Fuse. And uh, that was one of them. It would have been the adventure. And I mean, yeah, just the whole, I mean, not only do you have this long fucking intro, the synth and all the, you know, all these effects on the guitars and shit like that. You also have the music video with it, which is way more spacey than, you know, the fucking like the music video for like feeling this or what's my age again or anything. I would definitely (laughs) say I was more shocked by uh, Ava. And I, and the other thing too is it's not like like when I heard Boxcar Racer, I mistook it for Blink. I never heard Angels and Airwaves and mistook it for Blink, except for the first time I heard Everything's Magic in uh, Fye, <laughs> okay. and I went, "Why yeah. does the Why does Anthem Part Two sound like this?" And then all of yeah, a sudden, right? <laughs> not you know what the fu- I don't know if this is funny or sad. I ain't talking shit on the homeboy. It is his birthday. Happy forty fifth. But uh, when I heard it and I heard that riff, I go, who the fuck is, is ripping off Blink-182? And then all of a sudden, Tom DeLonge's voice comes <laughs> on. I'm like, who the fuck is ripping off Anthem Part 2? I'm pretty sure everyone kind of thought that when they heard that song. Like, I, I don't know one person that likes Angels and Airwaves who did not think that that was... Yeah, you have like, to. Uh, an, an Anthem Part 2 ripoff. And again, it's nothing against the guy like i mean like it that's just how he like how he wrote the song and it just just so happened to be pretty much the same riff (laughs) with an added extra note or two but i mean you know it is what it is and 
still not a bad song, but yeah, I definitely was confused when I first heard that. <laughs> and we will we will get into it. I won't jump to it yet, but there's actually a song on a uh, on uh, this record on Boxcar Racer, and I, I wonder you may already know what it is, but uh, that that he definitely recycled on Untitled, 100 percent, like the entire fucking riff, almost the entire song was just recycled later on. But but we'll get to that. But anyways, for like I feel so getting back to that, you know, before we go to track two, anything else uh to say about I feel so? Um I guess it was just like um the song itself, like not just it for being a single, but for it being the first song. And like that, you know, we kinda talked about this on the Green Day uh, you know, album review. Um, how the first song is always kind of that, you know, introduction to the band and let alone, you know, this being a single as well. Like it was definitely something that really pulled you in with that, you know, I'm assuming their big keyboard guy who plays on a bunch of the Blink records, Roger Manning Jr. I'm pretty sure he played that beginning piano riff. And I was you know, wondering, dude, because like, I didn't I didn't know this was a guy. So, you know, who you know, who plays piano on that? I was assuming it was just Jerry Finn. Um, it it does like so. I'm assuming so, just because he's been listed on other Blink records in the past. I didn't know this, and and it does show. And this is kind of a like a it's a maybe just because it's wiki, but uh-huh. it does show that Tom does play piano on here, like on the record. But maybe just for demo purposes, because I've never really seen him, except for one time, really kind of mess around on a, a piano type instrument. Um, so I'm assuming if anything, maybe that Roger Manning Jr. guy came in and like really cleaned it up and kind of just, you know, you know, worked on, you know, the intro to the song and maybe some other parts, but it was so dynamic, you know, it's so dynamic and it changed to like that kind of demented nursery rhyme kind of sound with that piano that Tom loves using that phrase, demented nursery rhyme. I love it. Going yeah. into Going into the big heavy part. And then the first verse comes in and it's super chill. And it's, it's, it's a pattern that's repeated through the album constantly. It's, it's very mellow verses, heavy courses, mellow verses. I have that written like down, dude. Bridge. Yeah. And it's, it's cool because it's definitely something from Tom and just musicians at that time that I didn't hear that, uh, having all of that be thrown at me in the first song, whether it was a hit or not, it's a banger of a song and it's one of those like hits that I don't mind listening to. Oh, absolutely. No, it, it's one where I truly can't believe this doesn't get more radio play even to this day, just because it's one of those ones where maybe the casual person who, you know, knows like the singles blink Way too, but doesn't know the band, even though they may not know who Boxcar racer is. If they heard that song, I think his voice is discernible enough where like people know that, Oh, that's that guy from blink Way too. Like they'll, they'll listen to it. Like, you know, I think yeah. it's something that people will listen to, and I'm surprised you don't really hear on rock radio. But it, it is funny you bring yeah. that up, like like the dynamics thing on here, because I have that. And one thing I'll say, it's not even bad, but when you keep listening and you realize that, you do realize that that is a big part of Boxcar Racer's sound. Because at first I thought it was a few songs. Then I kept listening, and I'm like, this is like the formula here, like quiet verses, yeah. loud intros, or I mean loud, loud uh, choruses. And it's like mm-hmm. what uh, Kurt Cobain used to call it, like fucking like the Pixies thing. Like he said he was ripping off the Pixies with that when he did it with like Smells Like Teen Spirit, where like, you know, he does that with songs where you have these very oh, quiet yeah. verses 
and the and he said that he said he got that from the Pixies. That's who he credits for. But like doing these quiet verses and then just fucking blowing up in the choruses. And it really it adds this dynamic. You know, even though even though you may not even change it up much, it could be the same like it could be as something as simple as, you know, there's just one guitar instead of two, and then there's just bass going. Like because the thing you see that's absent on here, I would say two big things that I think are different than Blink is they don't you don't really hear guitar on here that's just straight palm muted eighth notes. Like really, you don't hear a lot of palm muting on this record at all if you think about it. Like you, oh no, not at all. Like you do not hear his typical like guitar playing. Like when you start listening, like he spaces shit out. Like and he never did that before. Obviously, he did after this. But like before that, Tom's guitar playing was not spaced out. Like this album is very much less is more. Like I mean, there's even like even in those verses, like those verses are really heavy, but they're just fucking these like these like that just that like down fucking chugging, and no one's doing anything crazy, but it just works mm-hmm. really well. And they do that thing where instead of doing, you know, just fucking palm muted eighth notes the whole time, they're spacing it out, and then when they get to those that chorus, it's fucking massive, you know, like yeah. that. They work with dynamics like they never did before. Because in Blink, that's not really a thing. They don't really do the quiet, loud thing. Like it, it kind of keeps a, it kind of keeps the vibe the whole time. You know, Blink One Eight Two song, like it kind of keeps it the entire time. Like I guess, like What's My Age Again, kind of uh, would be example of one that kind of does that, well, where it's quiet, loud, quiet, loud. But like for the most well, you part, kind of, well, you kind of brought it up earlier. Um, Stay together for the kids. That's a yeah, yeah, example. you're right, dude. That's the perfect example of that type of transitioning, kind of, kind of, almost taking it up a notch in a way because these verses are more mellow, almost, and then they get even heavier in the choruses, and then, yeah, it's just, it's just a tweak to the dynamic. But that's like, like as far as sound goes, like that's a very, uh, as far as Tom and Blink and stuff like that, like that's a very good intro to be like, hey, if you like stay together for the kids from boxcar racer you might uh, from blink 182 wow sorry you might like this boxcar racer album if they've never heard it because that's what i always think of like like i go the stay together for the kids is a song that sounds like boxcar like like or pre-boxcar racer that's the only real song where you kind of go like that sounds like where they're going you know like like that song Mm -hmm. i guess is a foreshadow same with like with untitled like where they'd be going but, like, yeah, because, like, what I was thinking today, like, with those dynamics, why, like, Blink-182, most of the time they don't do that. Like, I think, like, a song like Damn It, there's no fucking spacing. Everyone's playing the whole time. It's not a song that, you know, they're, they're, there's taking breaks and shit. Whereas on this album, you listen, there's whole, there's a verse, you know, there'll be, like, a verse where there's only one guitar. Sometimes there's no guitar. Then the next verse, they do two guitars and, like, or there's no bass in this section, like, there are there are like whole sections of of like songs on this record where there's just instruments that aren't playing and it's just something you don't see a lot beforehand you know like he did a really good job and the I also wonder this just because I also think he had a bigger part in the sound of Blink One Eighty Two than people will ever realize but I do wonder if Jerry Finn kind of played with that like if Tom like how much he had in the say of this you know what I mean like kind of pushing them towards that like. Like if Tom kind of naturally was writing that way or if Jerry was kind of there, help, you know what I mean? Kind of helping him go towards that way. Because I mean, same within Blink-182, like Jerry Finn, I think has, has a lot more to do with guitar tones, uh, little things they do. Like, I mean, like you were talking about like the guy who plays keys on those Blink albums, like 
I'm pretty sure that's Jerry Finn who thought it was a good idea to get like fucking, you know, and, and to be fair, he didn't produce Dude Ranch, which there is some, uh, you do hear that a little bit on there, but like later on on the albums where you hear it more and more like layered under there, I think that was a Jerry Finn mm-hmm. thing. Like there's a lot of shit like that where I'm like, I think that was more Jerry Finn than it was actually Blink, which I'll also say because I I had not heard the Enem of the State demos for a while. I forgot that like seven or eight of them are out there. And when you mm-hmm. hear I used them, to have them, yeah, so you've heard them, right? Like the Jerry Finn was good to them. Like I'm, all I'm saying is, oh, absolutely. is absolutely. you you listen to the rawness of some of those songs, like like the the original ones. I'm like, they the idea is there, but Jerry Finn helped them craft it into something because the demos down of the state do not sound. Like, you would hear those and you would not think this is going to be one of the biggest pop punk records of all time. Like, one of the most influential, <laughs> like, I mean, and really, like, truly one of the most influential. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, and that's what I think people get mad who are like, yeah, they can't play and it's like they're lousy musicians. It's like, those motherfuckers just just on a song, like, all the small things. How many people have learned that? Like, on guitar, how many, like, that was their first song and, like, how many people have been, like, influenced off even just that record? Like, such a huge fucking yeah. record that, you know, I think Jerry Finn definitely, and I don't think they would shy away from that. I'm pretty sure Mark, Tom and Travis would all say nothing but that, like that fucking, you know, he had, he was like a fourth member of the band. But, uh, I just do wonder that because I just go, you hear different shit on here, you know, for songs that Tom's writing mm-hmm. that you never heard him write before. And it's like, I no, wonder if not. Jerry, you know, like if Jerry worked with arrangements or that, or if that was all kind of Tom. Or I guess the other thing, too, David, because that's the other thing. David Kennedy, obviously, for people who don't know who is in uh, Angels and Airwaves as well, he also played guitar in this. So, I mean, I I think that. And the other thing that I forget, too, is uh, even though, I mean, there are, there are like, if you go listen to Blink Records, I mean, there are second guitar, you know, they'll, they'll layer guitars and shit. But this is a band where Tom now has someone else to play off of. So the dynamic of guitar playing changes when you're not in a trio anymore. You know, so I think mm-hmm. that also changes your songwriting and how you can approach it and how you can do that. Because that's the other thing you forget, too, with the trio where to give Tom credit where, you know, people are like, oh, he doesn't, you know, he plays very simple shit and blink. It's like they're also a trio. So he doesn't have, you know, a lot of times there's not a place to play crazy shit because there's no one to, you know, play the rhythm guitar. Like, you know, you kind of you do kind of are limited in certain ways with that, you know, including with the music that they play. So it's like, you know, oh, yeah, absolutely. like, like, I think, I think this kind of gives him another side of his songwriting, you know, that, that you wouldn't see before. So I, I think maybe it's all those things, him wanting to do different shit. I think David Kennedy did help. Like, I feel like he had, I feel like he probably had say in the studio. Like I would, I would assume just from the difference in the, you know, the change in sound that he had something to do with that. And I also, I do, I wonder how much Jerry Finn had, because I feel like Jerry, because Jerry would also be one who would would probably be like, okay, if you want these guitar tones, you're going to want to use these amps instead of what you're, you you know, because he changed that too. Like Tom plays a different guitar. He used different amps. Like that was probably, that shit was probably Jerry. A lot of that was probably Jerry being like, this is what would work best if you're going for that tone. You know, if you're trying to do Fugazi or this and that, it's like, this is what you'll want to use. But yeah, hundred percent. That you're yeah, everything that you just said, spot on. <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. But uh, <laughs> move, moving on to the second song, such a good one. All systems go. This song to me, the energy and the vibe is just. I, I think if you know this song, you know what I'm talking about. Like 
there's just such a fucking like it's just youthful. Like it, it's one of those songs where you know you know Tom DeLonge, even though Happy Birthday to the fucking to the dude today, like even though he's forty five, he will always be like twenty five to everybody. Like I I just think that's kind of the thing, and I think these are one of the songs that like that's the reason for it because even then like he wrote this album him and Travis would have been like mid 20s like I think he was like 25 26 maybe 27 at like oldest and like he's writing these songs that fucking you know I mean really people are relating to who are like 14 15 years younger even at that age oh yeah absolutely like like you start thinking about that and you're like that's that's really a talent and I think this is one of those songs where I listen to this and I go like even though he's not old, but he's like, you know, he's in his mid twenties and it's sound and he's still writing songs as like angsty and like youthish or I don't even think youthish is a word, but youthful, uh, you know, as he was at like age 16, you know, sure. but I mean better, I guess, because I will say 16 year old probably couldn't write a song this good, but you know, it just <laughs> has that youthful energy, like somebody like a fucking teenager wrote it, you know? And the other yeah, the other uh, thing I have written too is it's not as straightforward as a Blink song. Like we were talking about the last one is this song is not fucking straightforward at all. It's not you were saying, right? This is what you were learning earlier. You were playing this earlier on guitar. Yeah, I literally heard that I was just playing that first note and then I just kind of eared out the rest of it and then just for kicks I looked up the tab just to see how close I was. Everything was right. I literally had every note right without even like looking at anything beforehand my fucking dude my fucking dude right here we got tom DeLong. i couldn't tell you the last time i couldn't tell you the last time i did that no fuck you probably another blink song it's funny i was uh i was fucking around yesterday morning just uh playing just playing my acoustic guitar to uh this addiction and at first i just started playing the first song on that album and then I end up just kind of playing the whole thing, and I'm like, every fucking song on this album is like an E major. Like all of a sudden you start playing it, and and it's like it's kind of like when I'm when I'm listening to this album, and I'm like kind of like analyzing it and realizing like like the dynamic thing, like oh Tom does this a lot. I'm realizing on that album they use like the same chord progressions. They go from like you know like every chorus goes a relative minor. Like they just have these formulas. Like sometimes you start playing things by ear. And you realize how formulaic bands really are. Like you start realizing mm-hmm. that truly it comes down to formula why you like a lot of bands. Like Blink Rainy Two, like there's chord progressions. There's like three chord progressions, I would say, that like they they are every single every single uh like fucking like Blink Rainy Two single has that chord progression. It's either A, B, or C. But it has it. Doesn't matter what key it's in, doesn't matter the tempo, it's always that progression. Like there's just certain things that work. That's my bitch about California was that that John Feldman went in and did that where he went, okay, what are the things that people like? Like this song was popular and there's flanger on the drums. So let's put flanger on the drums. Like just so formulated, you know, which you can fuck yourselves with. Like you need the formula, but at the same time, it's like that formula, if you try to force it, you know, can be an issue, which is the other thing why I think this album's so great. There's, he's not really forcing anything on this album. Like, if he was, this album would sound more like it was just trying to be Blink-182, you know, like, and really it would have been more commercially successful probably if he tried to just write an album that was like, you know, Blink-182 with two guitars, you know? Yeah, right, yeah. But I mean, so for this yeah. song, yeah, like, like, how do you feel about this one? And also that, like, I mean, kind of going back to, like, like you said you were you were learning it before this, 
it's pretty different than a Blink song, like guitar-wise, right? Like structurally, like you're playing it, the rhythm of it and stuff, like it's just not, it's not as straightforward at all. Yeah, no, as far as like guitar playing-wise is concerned for this song, yes, it's very, like, there's similarities to a degree, but it doesn't, like, it's just like, I feel so, like, it doesn't, like, it it loosely feels Blink-related, maybe just because it's Tom and it's his guitar, but there's enough of a difference where, like, if you were to just play that riff, like, if you were to just play this song, like, by yourself or, like, with a buddy, like, jamming, quote-unquote, and then be like, oh, what is that? Like, they wouldn't be able to just quickly identify it as a, oh, that sounds like a a Blink pop-punk song. That sounds like a Tom DeLonge punk song. It's still Tom, and it's, it's close, but it's different, and it... It, it allows me to at least like think like kind of how he would have, like if I wanted to change my guitar style and change, you know, you know, differentiate the bands, you know, I have to open things up a little bit. I have to, you know, kind of f- fall out of the structure of what blink is to try something completely different. And there are loose similarities here and there, but this is one of those songs that you can play without being so tied to like, oh, I'm playing a straightforward pop punk, punk rock song. There's, there's difference here. And it's, 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 it's loose. It's, you know, it's nothing like tight and punchy. It's, you know, it, it, it gives, it gives time to breathe. And again, it does like the whole, like, like the kind of the slower intro to the big chorus or so, yeah, slower verse to the chorus. Um, this is literally one of my favorite songs on this record oh it is one of the uh, it's best got one, it, it's got one of my favorite lyrics probably i would say almost of all time uh on it and one thing i do want to say about this song in particular is this is one of these songs that i can kind of see as like uh if this song didn't exist on boxcar racer with the lyrics that are in this song and the style I'm going to call this self-titled untitled anthem part three. Oh shit, dude. I was thinking, dude, it has an anthem vibe. It does feel like a continuation. 100% you're dead on. Cause lyrically it's so like anthem from Enema of the state last song. It's, you know, in the way I see it, it's extremely useful. Like, like just wanting to be understood. You know, you're a kid, you're having fun, you're partying with your friends, you're making a mess, being crazy, but you you, you want to be seen as a person. You don't want to just be looked at as like a, a grungy little kid who like fucks around all the time. Anthem part two, though they bring up the age 16 in that song, there is more of like, uh, di- like ideas of, you know, thinking uh, as an adult. You know, yeah. he does bring up the, uh, you know, uh, corporate leaders, politicians, kids can vote, adults elect them. You know, it's still a lot of like, we want to be noticed. Like we're growing up to become adults, like give us the respect. And this song is just that again, but now as like a, a full blown, like now you're an adult and you're still trying to be recognized as an adult. And these lyrics completely relate to all of those kind of ideologies that listening to this, it reminds me of what a Anthem Part Three could have been 
if they did want to uh, sell titled untitled. I absolutely see that. And I mean, I, I think it goes back to what you were saying where you're like, it doesn't sound like a straight up Blink song. But you hear elements on there. And I think that's what you hear. It's that energy and vibe like I was talking about. There's, it's, it's more about musically it may not sound like a straight up Blink song, but lyrically what he's singing, the vibe of the song, it feels like the same thing that you get from Anthem Part 1 and 2 where it's the same thing where it's like there's just such an energy to it and there's just this this thing where once again going to that youthful thing. Like, I mean, I like seeing them play that song in like 2009 – you know, even as however old Tom would have been then, you know, like 36 or something. I mean, even as a 36-year-old singing Anthem Part 2, like when he's singing that, he's not a 36-year-old. It sounds like he's fucking like a 23-year-old singing it, you know? Like he he yeah. is he is whatever age, like you're saying, like like the age you put yourself in when you think of those songs, like that's what happens when he sings those songs. And that's, that's his talent. That's being able to do that, it, to capture something where – no matter when he sings that, it will bring you back there. And I believe it'll always oh, be yeah. that way. I think Tom, I think at 70 years old, if you see Tom DeLong sing Anthem Part 2, even at that age, you, it, it doesn't matter. You're going to think of him as that fucking like young dude just playing, playing a guitar with the low guitar strap, just telling really offensive dick jokes like in arenas and shit. Like, you know, like you're going to think of him that way, like no matter what age. Which is good and bad Again, because I, that has haunted him. I mean, I think that's a gift and a curse because you've obviously seen how, like, like people want him to be that certain. And I've been guilty of it, at, like, younger. Like, now I'm like, I don't really give a fuck. It's like the dude wants to live his life. Like, he's not, he's not always going to be the guy from Enema of the State. But, like, you know, I, I think it's cool that people think of him that way and that I do think people, like, relate him to an era and a time and a place and also just a certain image of him. But at the same time, I think it's also pigeonholed him where like, you know, oh, yeah. like like where people, even me, where like I, I've at times it's taken more time to accept certain things that he's done musically where maybe if it was someone else doing it that I didn't hold to a certain, you know, standard or a certain ex- expectation that I would have liked more, you know, so it's like you're kind of more critical. Because I do think that's true. I mean, I think I think a lot of his shit gets a lot more critique on it and people have more to say but it comes from a place because he means so much to them and because he's written things that mean so much to people that you know that's why not everyone is into you know things that he's done later on or people get pissed off that he doesn't wear a fucking hurley hat backwards anymore like you know <laughs> even silly things like that where people really do it's like he after he took that lip ring out man he fucking changed like you know like th- <laughs> like things like that and you know that people truly think that and it's like it just, you know, that's good and bad because it means you did something. It means that you, you know, your music meant something. Like you were successful in that way. But, yeah, you know, it also kind of bites you in the ass. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think this song's an example of that, you know, of like that youthfulness of him and his music. And, uh, yeah, I mean, whether it's the lyrics, whether it's the music itself. But, uh, I mean, definitely, definitely a great fucking song. Definitely one of the best songs on the album. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, guitar. I would say too. Actually, this is what's interesting. I had this written down, um, and let me know what you think. But like the verse guitars have a, have a untitled tone. I think in the verses, the guitar. And once again, doesn't sound like a Blink song, but like just the tone of it and everything has an untitled tone. And then on the uh, on the choruses, it has this more. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm butchering my own fucking words as I try to read it here. 
Because <laughs> um, I do mean that, but I, I read I'm, – I'm looking at my chicken scratch, and I thought I, read, I wrote something different. But verses kind of have this untitled Blink vibe, and then the chorus has a pre-untitled Blink vibe to me. Like the verses – you, yeah, you know what I mean? Like there's there's the section of it where I go, okay, this is an indication of what's to come, whereas the chorus is, this is him sticking to what he knows. Like that catchy chorus and all that, mm-hmm. and, and it does. It has more of like a take-off-your-pants-and-jacket vibe to it, you know? Yeah. But Yeah, no, not, not that I have the exact same note, but I was thinking the exact same thing as you were saying it. Yeah, and, it, and it's something that I didn't really – I guess maybe I noticed before because it's always been a favorite of mine. So I'm like, okay, I, I think those those things that you relate to it are like, oh, okay, maybe that's why I like it. But yeah, I, I didn't really realize that till today. I'm like, part of this song is indication of what's to come, and the other part of it is indicate what came before. Because I do notice on this album, even though it is kind of a reaction of Tom Wine to do something different than what they were doing on Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, like. I do think that there's still elements of Blink in here that you're just not going to shake off just because you were part of that band where it's like there's not a lot of moments of like take off your pants and jacking this, but there are some. You know, there are some times where it's like even though he's like I, this is not Blink, it's like elements of Blink are still going to pop up, you know, and this is kind of an example. Yeah, of that. yeah it's it, when when you've been doing a certain thing for so long and being successful at it, when you go and try to switch something up that's loosely re- like ba- like based off of like the same kind of uh, oh like uh uh kind of genre I guess you could say like it's still part of a punk genre quote unquote so going from Blink and its popularity going to something like this where it's still in like the punk scene but it's slightly uh-huh. different there's gonna still be things that are you know. Tom specific in his style of writing where you can just, even if you didn't hear the vocals, if you heard a certain riff, you'd be like, Oh, this sounds like Tom DeLong's guitar playing in this, or this sounds very blink. Like who is it? You know, there, oh, there's still going to be that. Um, when he ended up doing angels and airwaves, like he completely, like he just took that idea and really threw it out the window. Cause if you <laughs> listen to that first ABA record, there's re- besides Tom, singing there's really no like connection to like this sounds like blink besides the tom being in the band so he really like changed it up and and did a very good job at it but going back to this you know with the height of blink's popularity there might have been something subconscious in him where it's like oh this needs a really catchy hook you know and just kind of went to the blink well and just found, you know, that riff and whether it was a riff that he's repeated a million times or not, like, it's just, you know, it's like go back to what feels comfortable. Even if you're trying to change it up, you can always go back to something that you know and make little tweaks here and there and, you know, still make it new, but it's old. Oh yeah, totally. And you, you kind of bring up a good point. It's like, I wonder if him being able to be as experimental as he did with Ava, if that came from putting out Boxcar Racer. And even though this wasn't, this album never sold like Blink did, it still was successful enough. Like, I mean, it wasn't, it never became massive, but it did sell well. Like, it did well enough where, and I think he got a lot of positive feedback, where I wonder if when he went to go do that, he looked back at this and go, well, you know, last time I changed it up and it went successful. You know, like, I wonder if the success of that helped because, 
maybe if this record bombed and really bombed, which I mean, at the same time, there wasn't a lot riding on it, obviously. Like Blink were like at one of their like really kind of at the peak of their career. So it's like it wasn't riding on this thing of like making or breaking their career or anything like that. But it's like, you know, maybe if this would have went really bad and got bad reviews and people hated it and shit, maybe he wouldn't, which also would make you think maybe Untitled wouldn't have went the way it did because maybe they went, well, people didn't fucking like it when we did it with that album, so we're definitely not going down that route with Blink. And, uh, you know, maybe with Ava, when he was doing that, he would be like, well, fuck, last time I tried to not sound like Blink, it backfired. You know, like, like I, so I do wonder that, like, even though, Ava doesn't particularly sound all like all boxcar racer. Um, even though the next song here, we're going to get to, I uh, want to talk <laughs> about that, but, uh, yeah, but you know, like, like still I, I go like, you know, I wonder if, if the success of this, because it is, I mean, it, it didn't, it went gold in Canada. I don't think it ever even went gold here, but it didn't sell bad, you know, like obviously nothing amazing, but not, not bad or anything. The record label didn't lose any money. The band didn't lose any money or anything like that, you know, but uh, yeah, if it if it went another way, I wonder if that would have affected uh, Ava and all that. Because you are right, like you forget now too, because it's been so many years. But it's like that was a fucking shocker when like like you think of Blink One Eight Two, and then you think of when Angels and Airwaves came out and hearing that stuff, and it's like it was so different. Like now, I don't think twice about it. I'm just like, I mean, that is his band. Like really, at this point, he's been doing Ava is. You know what? I think he's Angels uh, and Airwaves has been around as long as I think Blinkway is around before they broke up the first time. Uh let's see, because Ava was like oh five. It would have been oh five. So that's I'd say they've like been 05, around 06. for fifteen. They've been around for like fifteen years. Yeah, and it, it's weird because like it's kind of like the way I joke about Smashing Pumpkins, it's just, it's just Billy Corgan and friends. Cause it's like a different lineup every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like angels and airways, it's obviously mainly Tom and David for the most part, but even on yep. this, I think the last like little recordings that they were doing, I don't think David was involved. Um, I think it was just Tom. Uh, oh, and yeah, they're, they're a new drummer. Yeah. I, I think you're yeah. right. And then I think they had a, another guy from another band kind of messing around with them. I don't remember who it was, but because they have a different but, bass yeah. player now, they don't have uh, Matt, uh, their old bass yeah, player. Yeah, which yeah, which before that it was Ryan. someone else. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan. Sin. Sin, yeah, yeah. What band was but, he uh, was in? He was in the Distillers. The Distillers. I think. Yeah, and yeah. Then, and then, was in the Distillers. And then the other one was in uh, Thirty Seconds to Mars. Before that, Matt. He was in. He was yeah. in Thirty Seconds to Mars. It's funny. Yeah. People, um, you know, when Angels and Airwaves came out, I, I still think about this. Like, they were kind of a super group, even though they weren't marketed that way. Like, Adam was in The Offspring and Rocket from the Crypt and uh, tons mm-hmm. of other bands. He played with a bunch of other bands. It was even just coming off of Offspring. You had Tom DeLong, You had uh, fucking Ryan from The Distillers. And uh, and then David was in Boxcar Racer and a couple other ones. I, I, I mean, his his were yeah. probably less big. But, I mean, all of them kind of came from fairly big punk bands, really bands that came out of different genres. Like, if you look at the people, like the original lineup uh-huh, for yeah. Angels and Airwaves, none of them came from bands who sounded like that, like Angels and Airwaves. None of no. those bands sounded like them. No, it was it was just the weird, demented brainchild of Tom DeLonge and just <laughs> ended, ended up finding the right people 
to work with him at that moment because then after that they lost Brian and then I think the next album they got Matt. Yep. And then after that He was on I for like two albums, they, I think, two or three. Yeah, he Yeah, and then they switched drummers. Yep. And then Matt left. And yeah, it's just kind of been like a random like you know, random I think it was just a random couple people here and there kind of messing around with them. But like kind of leading into like this next song, Watch the World, it's very much so like a, a precursor to what Angels and Airwaves what would eventually they become. Um, because if you listen to like the lyrics or if you just read or whatever the lyrics, like they're so like different, like and even like his delivery and his vocals are very like on every last word, it's very drawn out. Um, and that's very much like what Tom was doing with Angels and Airwaves is really, you know, really singing, I feel like, for the first time, really <laughs> not going. Well, because like. I know what you're saying. There's a, yeah, like, you know, he actually learned how to sing, like, maybe at this time, was starting to learn how to sing with his diaphragm instead of like his throat. Um, because it did, his vocals got very open and very warm and it sounded good. But it was it was one of those first introductions of really hearing a different type of Tom DeLong song because there's I feel so and all systems go that have hints of Blink but it still sounds new and fresh. Where this is, it's almost all slow for pretty much mo- like the entire song except for pretty much I think like the bridge gets really big, and it just like the lyrics and also this the lyrics you can't really like relate to these lyrics. Like you could like a typical Tom DeLonge song. They're very kind of out there and very like, I don't know what the really fuck it's about, about still. I still don't I have know what no, the fuck I have this no song's about. I have no clue. No, not at all. I don't know what Langley no is. One of the most, one of the most fucking confusing ones is whatever. Get rid of Lang- Langley. And, and like, it's secrets too. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck Langley or it's secrets are. What is that? Who the fuck's Langley and yeah. who's his secrets? It's, well, cause like I made a joke as a kid, like, cause it's like, I saw Virginia get rid of Langley and it's secrets too. And I'm like, is Langley a town in the state of Virginia? Like <laughs> what happened in that town? You know, or, or the fucking I, I didn't know. Like the fucking box that cures cancer, like all this different yeah. shit. Like I don't know what he's talking. Yeah. Like in a way, I yeah, almost feel like he's talking because there's times where I go, oh, well, that's about like his dream world. Like if everything was like perfect. But then there's other lines where I'm like, that has nothing to do with this song. That's not what he's saying at all. Yeah, definitely. It's it's like I said, it's like this whole song is just like a pre like it's like it's Ava 1.0 or like Ava point oh, this is the first, I would say, on Boxcar Racer on this record, this is the first song where you hear those. Like, like the first two Absolutely. songs have element of Blink. This one, you're getting the elements of Ava where you're like, oh, okay. Like, And once again, like the dynamics and shit, but also Ava dynamics because they're changing it up here. Like you were saying, this one and part of what I like about this song is that it never really blows up. It never goes anywhere too crazy. Like it kind of it, it does in the bridge before it goes the acoustic guitar, but like overall yeah. it keeps it keeps more of its like energy about the same level the whole time before that, which yeah, is something exactly. that that they're not doing on all the other songs, you know. So I and it, this is also I mean not to jump forward, but like 
I like that about this and Elevator. I kind of like how neither of them really ever have the buildup that the other songs do. Because after a while, you listen to song, this album, and you're expecting that buildup in every song. You're waiting for the moment for shit just to go off. Like in every yeah. song on Boxcar Race, you're like, at some point, shit's going to pop. Shit's going to just start popping here. And they never, and it never really happens. Like, I, once again, it does for a second on Watch the World, but it doesn't do it like other songs. And then same with Elevator. It's like it never really goes to this crazy fucking place. And I like that yeah. because it's different for this mm-hmm. because all the other songs yeah. do that. But it, yeah, ha- it has that Ava vibe to it from kind of keeping it the whole way through. Because I don't feel like Ava does too much of the quiet, loud, quiet, loud. I feel like they're kind of like they have their build ups in the they intro. Build. Yeah, they build in, like, the intro. Yeah, and then after that, they don't do it so much. Like, then it kind of keeps going. But I don't feel like they Mm -hmm. do it as much with there. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just one of those songs that, like, like, I never hated it as a kid. But, like, because there was not a lot of relatability to it, it was just one of those ones where, like, I was able to skip without thinking I missed out on something. Yeah. But, But it's not like I... Like I said, I didn't hate this song. It was just, I, I didn't relate to it. So there wasn't anything for me to like, it was just a lot of questions. Who, where, who is Virginia and who is Langley? And like, what is this box? Or like, where is this field that grows perfection full of things you do? Well, here's where more confusion goes. Cause I've been thinking about this. I still don't know the Langley thing, but I do know that there's that Macbeth shoe that used to be called the Langley. I have no clue what Langley fucking is, but it obviously means something to Tom because oh. he also named a shoe Langley. That is true. I don't know that if it's a person. Yeah. I don't know if it's a place. Like, but and I also know what you're saying because I got to say, like, I don't ever remember hating this song, but I definitely think I like it as I get older. It's a song that I've probably appreciated more within more recent years than I did uh, the first, you know, the first couple years listening to this album. Because at that point, I was more into the songs that sounded that were more like, oh, this sounds like Blink-182 without Mark. Like, you know, definitely when I started listening to this, those were my favorite songs. The ones where you'd go, this just sounds like Markless Blink. But, uh, you know, as I go on, it's more of these songs where I'm like, no, it's unique. You know, it's like this is the one mm-hmm. album they put out, and it's a very unique thing to hear from them. You know, they never they uh, never did it again um, like that. And, and this one, you know, he does it a couple times, but Watch the World I think is a good example like – because Travis is obviously known as being a crazy drummer and doing fills and all this crazy shit. And really, for the most part on here, this is a good example of him really being a pretty tasteful drummer, I feel like. Like him kind of being able to strip it back a little more and still do something really good. Like, I mean, some, you know, doing really good Travis shit, but he's not doing crazy, you know, crazy out of place shit. He can kind of, he can kind of find his place, I think, really well on a song like this. And kind of for him to do something different, you know? Yeah, we didn't really get into it a whole lot at the beginning of this. It's like kind of like a like a, a vague album retrospect to start it and just like kind of like a brief introduction. But like one of the things I definitely wanted to bring up, and I have it written in this song, but I have it written for multiple songs, that Travis kills it on this album without having to do anything too crazy. Yes. Well, you know um, what, dude, on the on fucking uh we didn't really talk about it, but all systems go. That fucking uh great, great drum performance. And I mean sonically mm-hmm. too, the drums just sound fucking amazing. Yeah, it's uh it's 
it's funny. It's something I, I look back on and I remember hearing about it and I was like, where did I hear this? Where did I hear this? And I had to find it on Tom's uh, pursuit of tone interview documentary thing he did for Ernie ball strings. And he was talking about boxcar racer and just like the, the recording process of that. And one of the things that he said was that in the verses and courses, how they do this, you know, big, small, big, small, like dynamic is that on the uh, verses, they would set Travis up with like really small, simple drum kits. Um, probably a bass drum, a snare, a hi-hat, maybe a crash or something like, like very small kit. And then for the choruses, they go to a bigger, you know, multi-symbol X amount of Tom drum kit to make it really big and like dynamic. And a lot of the shit that I love that Travis does on this record and like just on this song and just other songs, it's just like he does a lot of like marching band drum roll snare work. Yes, yes, he does. But, with, but, with, but he does really cool like either like – like these, like I don't know what to call them. I'm not a drummer, but little like hi hat swells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Like the like like a quick little open hi hat like thing. I don't know. I'm not a drummer, but it, he does some really cool stuff without having to be a crazy drummer. And this is where yeah, like I wrote like just the simple note. It's just like the drums are so nice on this song. <laughs> they are. They work really well. Like it. It kind mm-hmm. of. Like, like it's funny because, because I think I do think that's something that Adam Willard does well too. Is he kind of plays that like that kind of marching band drumish way, like in Ava. Like I think it works well with what they're doing, and I feel like I think I, I think he does it kind of too. Um, you know, later on in Angels, but yeah, like Travis does do that a lot on here. You're right. There's like tons of songs where he does kind of the marching band thing but adds the Travis Barker thing. You know what I mean? Like adds the, adds mm-hmm. the Travis flair to it, but in very tasteful ways. I think the other thing he does is, yeah. is he'll find like this album, I think more than others, he'll keep a consistent, like almost playing the pocket. Like he'll find a cool drum beat and he'll keep that going. You know what I mean? Like instead of adding up different shit and changing things up too much, I feel like he finds that really good place and he plays it kind of straight, you know, not even straight because he does his embellishes and shit. But it's it, like he's not doing. It's like Tra- it's like it's basically Travis Barker's like most simplest like drum work. Yes, but there's still like dynamic work to it that that totally shines through on this record. Oh, absolutely. I I, I think I think for sure, and I think you're right about this one being a uh, a big highlight of that. I think one of his. Uh, Best ones, and we and we should have we should have gotten that in the beginning because you are right. Like, because you think about you think of Tom a lot on this record just because obviously he's singing and playing guitar and shit. But like, you kind of forget like Travis was just a part of you know. I mean, this really is two thirds of Blink on this record, and uh, you know Travis is another one who yeah did come in and didn't just play drums just like he would on a Blink record. I think he gave a shit and came in and actually gave it like the love you know the love it needed. Because that's the other thing too is like mm-hmm. I know. I know Mark was, you know, fucking bummed out and shit and everything about how it went down. But it's like what I will say is Travis was a good – Travis wasn't just thrown in there just as like, well, this is just a guy from that band so it will help sell more records because, you know, it's another guy from Blink or anything like that. He actually, like, compliments the record. Like, he he is part of what makes the record good. Like, he's not someone who's just in there and it's like – 
you know, whether or not Travis was on this, like it wouldn't make a difference. It 100% do. Like these songs, yeah. a lot of their edge really actually, when I talk about dynamics, I mean, his drumming's part of it, you know, because he might he might lay low a little bit in the verses and then just go fucking nuts in the choruses, you know. So like he's yeah. a big part of that dynamic as well, you know. His drumming is a huge part of that, you know. Yeah, and like uh, one thing that got mentioned is that like Travis basically was brought into this band essentially just to play the drums because Tom didn't want to play pay for a studio drummer. And Travis was available, so he's just like, hey, bud, like, want to play drums on this record that I'm doing? So it wasn't even, like, as far as I'm aware, that Travis was, like, involved through the recording process. From what it seems like, as far as things that I've seen and read, that he kind of just came in and did the drums in, like, a couple days. Fuck. So, so he came in and basically gave it to Travis Barker flair without really having to embellish on like the drums and just kind of, like you said, he's pretty straightforward for the most part, but again, it's Travis. So there's going to be little parts that it's just like super cool and unique that are just not normal. And like a basic drummer who like sits in the pocket and just does what they do. And like maybe changes it up on a couple like fills. He, he does stuff that like in it, it he infuses so many different like styles of music into his drumming that he can kind of do whatever. So doing something as simple as this record, but still doing things to give it more life is it, it's great. It's so good. And like, it's one thing I definitely wanted to bring up is that Travis definitely like his part on this record. It definitely shows. And it's not like he's doing a whole lot, but he is. Yeah. Oh, to, you you are you were fucking dead on with with that. Like the way you're you're describing his drumming on this album, and I think too, like that's something you have to really give Tom and Mark as well. Is that I think they realize what they have. Like Travis Barker is like one of the best fucking drummers, like of any genre really. And like what you said, he knows so many different styles and shit. And the thing is, is that Mark and Tom, you know, whether it be in Boxcar Racer, whether it be in Blink, whether it be in Plus Forty Four. Anytime they've played with Travis, they don't try to contain him. You know what I mean? Like they let him do that. They go if he wants to do a beat that sound that is fucking is not just a like fucking, you know, like halftime punk beat, like they let him do shit that is like totally out of the realm of pop punk. And it's like all it's done is add to the band, you know, like all it's mm-hmm. done is made the music better, but you have to give them credit too because they're the ones who could be like no, like dumb this down, you know, because you hear that in a lot of bands where it's like, hey, I, you know, like, oh, like yeah. I've wanted to add this flair, this thing that maybe you don't normally hear in this genre. Like I want to blend genres and shit. And you have other band members who aren't who aren't for it. Whereas with uh, Mark and Tom, I feel like they're like, Travis, you know what you're doing. Like you're the fucking virtuoso here. Like you do what you think works, you know, and he knows what works. So, you know, it's smart. That yeah. they li- it's smart that they listen to the guy. Yeah, my uh, when I was in a band, we ended up having to switch drummers at one point. And the drummer that we got um, was a friend of ours who uh, doesn't listen to pop punk, doesn't like pop punk, just not his thing. And that's the kind we were in a pop punk, pop rock, whatever you want to call it, band. And he came in the, from the realm of death metal, and so like all his shit's like super fast and like crazy fills and this and that. But he 
along the same lines as Travis was well-versed in a lot of different genres. So when he started jamming with us, when we started writing new songs, it was awesome working with him because he didn't just do your basic pop punk drum fills and drum beats because that just wasn't his style. So a lot of the things that he was adding to like our songs were like these super dynamic, you know, splash symbol, hi hat, you know, like almost like dance beats. Like, oh fuck yeah! Like, it was super cool, and like I loved it. And like our producer was not a fan, so they tried to dull him down in the studio, which really sucked. Um, but it was it, it, bring, it brought such a change to the band that we needed as far as like going to the next step of like our progression that I don't think we could have done without him. And same thing with this, like even though Travis isn't doing a lot on this record, he's adding things to just make it more unique. So it's not just like, Oh yeah. Any studio drummer could do this or we'll just get a drum sample off of like the computer. Like we'll just fill that in. No, they got a guy. They got a fucking fucking one. And, and it's not like he had to do much like for this record. There's not a lot of things that like, this record requires when it comes to drumming it's yeah. pretty straightforward stuff but he just adds just just a little bit of flair to it that makes it just so good he is his, his fucking drum performance is on the on this uh record's great and on watch the world really really fucking good um before, before mm-hmm. we go to the next one i mean any other uh remarks on watch the world i mean it's a great song really first foreshadow of ava for sure and I, you know what actually surprised me too. I do want to say this. this would be my last thing on it is, I'm surprised they didn't cover this more. Like I know Angels will do like mm-hmm. Boxcar Racer covers, but I was looking this up and I could not find any videos of them covering this live. How the fuck is that possible? How is this not the yeah, most it's... covered fucking song when Ava's playing? Like how is this not the one that they're playing? Yeah, I don't know. That's that makes zero fucking sense. I never really thought about it until just now, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I, yeah, they did. There is like, that was the main one that they'd always do, which doesn't sound um, like angels and airwaves to me. That song sounds nothing like I think, Ava. I think it was just one of those things. Cause like, I remember seeing Ava during like, I think it was their first big tour. The tour was like taking back Sunday and like head automatica. Yeah. That was, that was and, like off the first record. It was like the first big one. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there was a section where like, like the band went off stage and like all of a sudden Tom's like in the back of like this outdoor arena, like all the way up in like the, the essentially what you would consider the nosebleed seats with a microphone. And you just hear like this kind of in, like this really repetitive instrumental, like music kind of coming through as he gives a little speech, he hits the stage and plays there is. And I, I knew he was going to do it just cause I saw videos from other shows, but I think the only reason why there is was the song was because of the fact that it was a hit for Boxcar Racer, but also it's like it gave Tom the time to like do like the one song solo acoustic jam in yeah. front of everyone without the rest of the band. That makes sense. I was, you know, I was fucking bummed because I saw those videos for years of him uh, doing some good, some bad. There are definitely some that should not have been covered, but like. In the beginning, where they where he would still cover like "I Miss You" and a couple Blink songs, and more like Boxcar mm-hmm. Racer songs. But the first time I saw them live, I was expecting one or two, and I don't think they played any. They may have 
Part of me wants to say they played a boxcar racer song, and I can't remember what one, but that may not be true at all. Which the other thing, this was after I Empire came out, so maybe at that point they had enough songs where they're like, "All right, fuck it, oh, we're not yeah. going to do that anymore." But it did bum me out because I remember seeing videos too, where I'm like, "Fuck, I hope they," you know, Blink was broken up at this point, so I'm like, "Fuck, come out and sing a Blink song or something, like do something." Like I want to hear, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, but I but at the, the same. Only- Sorry, I think ahead. the only ones that I really no no the only ones I recall him doing as far as like Angels and Airways are concerned was uh, he did I Miss You and he would do part of Reckless Abandon before going into like that uh, Rights of Spring song. Yeah, there was only like two. He didn't do a lot of them. He did those and then no. he'd do tiny or not tiny voices. He did uh, There Is and then he might have. I think they did. Maybe Letters to God, or maybe... I think they might have did one other Boxcar Racer song. Letters to God would make some sense, because, spoiler alert, I wrote that as a another Ava precursor. But that song. one's not even surprising, though, because, fuck, I mean, later on yeah. he does fucking they, part they, two. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this uh, this song's fucking good. I mean, I just cannot believe they have not covered it. And uh, I know Tom... Is probably listening to this on his birthday, the day it comes out. So if you're listening to this man, <laughs> once as he's eating fucking cake with his fan, he got his whole family around. They're listening to this right now as they're opening gifts and uh, fucking eating cake. And dude, whenever live shows come back, you gotta fucking start playing this in the uh, Angels and Airwaves set. You gotta fucking how you don't play Watch the World is beyond me. So so that's my closing. Maybe you forgot about that. it. I, you know yeah, what? You Maybe he fucking yeah. did, but that's 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 that. Start fucking playing it. But moving on to uh, Tiny Voices, one that doesn't sound like an Angel and Airwave song at all. First thing I got to say, I think this should have been a single. Now, I don't think they did a bad job. I got to say on this, because like we brought it up so much on the Green Day one, like I thought they did a good job single wise on this album. Like there is, and I feel so, are good singles. I think they did a good job on that. But I still feel like Tiny Voices really probably should have been pushed a little more because this is this is a lot like all systems go to me where it has that brattiness that youthful energy of Tom DeLong. It's it it's essential Tom DeLong to me. Like if we're putting songs together compiling a list of like what are essential Tom DeLong songs, uh this is probably on there. Like this song I think really just really encapsulates that a lot. And I think, once again, like all systems go, I think lyrically it seems to kind of have that same thing. Like something about it kind of gives me that vibe of like it's it's kind of about, and I don't even know that I know exactly to you know pinpoint the exact meaning of the song, but I feel like it kind of has to do with, you know, your teenage years or adolescence and youth and has that kind of youthful frustration and shit to it, you know. So I get that vibe. I, I do I do kind of think of it in the same way that I think of all systems go, but, uh, but just like all systems go, I think it's one of the strongest songs on the album. Like I, like I fucking love this song. Like what, what are your thoughts on this, on this one? Uh, I kind of had all the same things that like literally you just said. Um, but, uh, I definitely like, yeah. Right. Um, but one thing I guess I'll, I'll also add to it is more or less just kind of like, I guess, I guess you could say lyrically, like what the song is about or like how it makes it feel like I remember hearing this song for myself roughly around like the, like around the time the album came out, maybe a little bit after. Cause I think I had this thing first. Um, 
uh, I had Dragging the Lake from Atticus, that Fuck first yeah. Dragging the Lake like mix, and that had this song on here. And uh, I and he, listening to it, I remember listening to that whole like record, but like knowing that like Boxcar Racer was like at least a thing. And I remember just thinking like, I don't know what Tiny Voices means in particular. This man at the time was, uh, I was like, it, it makes me feel like wanting to speak up about things, but no one wants to listen to you. And when you finally do say something like people didn't give a fuck, like, Ooh, I, like I felt like that. tiny voices. Yeah. It was like, because, well, I guess the, the thing that gets super repetitive is like, uh, Tiny, like it's like that. The part of the the chorus, tiny voices make things harder. Everybody will be let down. Um, which is in my head, I always felt like, like it was me. Like I had a tiny voice, so like trying to tell people like how I was feeling or my thoughts on things, it felt like if I were to say something, like everyone would just be like, oh that's what that's really what you wanted to say about this topic or that's really how you're feeling about this thing. Like, ugh, like get out of here. So like, I felt like this song was very relatable because I wanted to speak up about things, but I didn't know how. And if I did, I was worried about being judged. So there was a lot of times that I didn't say what I wanted to. And this song made me feel that was like the first time I felt that type of feeling in a song where I was like, Hey, this song relates to me in that way. Like, and I felt more comfortable being able to say things because I knew there was someone else that kind of had, at least how I, how I thought of the song. Someone had the same thought process as me in that scenario. That makes sense. I mean, that's that relatability that, you know, we kind of keep getting back to with him where like, whether it's the way he dresses, the way he plays, like whatever it is, it's like, it's that obtainability thing. And it's same with this. Like he's not like for the exception really of like watch the world. Like he doesn't try to be too cryptic. Like, I mean, even this, even though it may not be, you know, it's kind of up for interpretation. It's not so fucking left field that you don't know at all. You know, you kind of, like you said, like you can put, like watch the world, I can't put anything to. Whereas with this, you can put your own spin on it how you feel. You know, like it gives you, like you said, like you 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 have your way that you relate to it and it makes total sense with the lyrics. You know, like I, like I think you're spot on, like the way you're you're explaining it. But like I think that's what works with him is he does that so well. And, uh, and another part I think too he does so fucking great is is that part where he's like everybody will be, will be let down like the way he he's like oh. he sings it almost like throaty oh. like it's just really kind of snarl like really fucking good like the delivery of it is amazing. What I say, what I, what I wrote is that as far as how these songs go, this is the first song that I felt he was like literally yelling these lyrics where yes. like there I felt the most like aggressive passion in this song, especially like in the ending where he just repeatingly everybody will be let down. Like it just sounds so like it sounds like he's so pissed off seeing that that like it made me like feel it even more. And like yeah, it sounds throaty and aggressive and harsh. And going back to complimenting Travis's drumming on this, what he's playing underneath him doing that works so fucking well. Like just mm-hmm. that little snare thing that he keeps doing underneath it. And even the guitar too, like just the way, just that like rhythm they're playing. They kind of have the guitars muted. They're not even playing notes, but just 
they're kind of playing actually they're playing the rhythm to the drums really they're kind of playing the same rhythm that the snare is and it just like it adds so much to his his fucking snarl from it like just another part where you really realize how well Travis and and Tom really like work well like like you got to give him that being being that one is someone you know Travis is like this drummer who just knows all these styles. I mean, we've been talking about this podcast, like just knows all these different styles, knows this shit, knows theory, knows what he's doing. And you have Tom who comes from the other side of that school where it's like, he doesn't <laughs> fucking know shit at all. Like, like he, but it throwing worked. darts at a wall. Exactly. But, but look at how well that dynamic works. Like, I think that's part of, and blink too. I mean, cause Mark's, Mark's kind of in the same boat as Tom, like Mark and Tom are in the boat of they're pretty simple and easy to play shit. Travis is a different story. Travis is like one of the best mm-hmm. fucking drummers out there. And that dynamic, I think, works so well. Like the simplicity of what Tom's doing with the complexity and simplicity of what Travis is doing just works so fucking well. And uh, on this song, definitely uh, underneath there with his drumming, but also guitar. Like, I think this is one of the best riffs on the album. Like, I love that opening riff. Like, it just, it's really like. There's nothing that crazy about it, but it's just different. Like, if you listen to it, it's a very different riff for Tom. It doesn't sound like a Tom guitar riff at all. Oh, yeah. No, but what's so funny is that it goes into something like that, into the verse where it's literally just like, I'm pretty sure it's the same repeated octave note the entire (laughs) verse. And that's very Tom. There's no change. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it goes from like that super cool like completely different tom like intro riff to something that's so just like plain and simple but i guess i guess that's like the beauty of this album is of like the simplicity and the dynamicness i don't even know if that's a word the just the dynamics and the simplicity of this record are merged so well between like tom travis and we'll throw david in there even though i don't really know what he does on this album as far as riff goes which i would like like, to know like i would like to interview him one day and just ask his involvement on the album because i do wonder that too like i wonder yeah because like we're saying it's like oh this riff sounds different for tom for all i fucking know maybe david fucking wrote more riffs than we realize like maybe this has david written all over it oh it very well could be and like i don't want to underplay david's contribution to the record because obviously he's on it we just don't know definitely we just don't yeah it's like when i was in a band like i was considered the lead guitar player but i played rhythm a shit ton and so some people will be like oh that's a cool riff i'm like i do nothing in that riff (laughs) (laughs) or like like yeah i'm the lead guitar player but i didn't write any of this and i don't play that my other guitar player who's rhythm plays that even though it's a lead it's confusing so like it would be nice to actually know really what David's doing on this record because the whole record is really good. And even oddly enough, I didn't really know this, but uh, their bass player that was on this record, uh, was it Anthony or whatever? Well, he actually wasn't uh, on the record. Tom played he, bass. No, on he the wasn't record. on the record. You know, Tom played bass on the record, but like every time you see a picture of boxcar race, Oh yeah. Anthony's, the yeah. Anthony's in it. So, Anthony Celestino. So, yeah. I, I always just said, uh, like Costello, just because I never really looked it up. But yeah, it's. I would like to know what he's doing, just even in the recording process, because it would be nice to know like where his style and where his influences may have come from, because it kind of 
I always feel like Angels and Airwaves was such a Tom project that everything kind of revolved around around Tom's guitar riffs and Tom's lyrics and Tom's ideas. So, I mean, for all I know, Dave had a lot of, you know, he had a lot to say on those and a lot to play on those records too. But I always feel like AVA was very Tom heavy with everyone else just kind of filling in like the blank spots where I feel like Dave definitely did something on this. I would just like to know what, and like if you were able to somehow pull an interview with that and get that answer, that'd be great to hear. Cause I've said something I've always wanted to know. I'd fucking, you'd be, I think you'd have to be in here for that. You could be fucking on there. We'll grill him on it. Like what the fuck (laughs) did you do on this record? You know, that, that brings up something that I was thinking about though earlier too, where don't get me wrong. The bass playing on this album isn't bad. But it's very much an afterthought because Tom was just kind of played bass on it just because it needed to get done. I would like to see what this album would have sounded like if he got someone who was dedicated to actually writing bass lines. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. someone who really like – because there's nothing crazy on here. His bass playing's not bad, but he plays yeah, very dude. much just root notes, like kind of just what needs to be played. Like it's a lot – like if there's a predictable thing on this record, I would say it's the bass playing. Like the bass lines are pretty predictable – there's not a lot of fills and shit. Like I would like to hear someone, including because the bands that he was influenced by, those post-hardcore bands like Quicksand, like Fugazi, and all those, those fucking bands had very interesting bass players. Like they're ba- like a lot of those bass lines in those bands were doing very interesting shit. And I would like to hear like some more bass-heavy songs on this. Maybe it's just a bass player in me, but like yeah. fucking well, like more bass on this, like more interesting bass lines. Maybe yeah. somewhere it has a bass intro, like. Different shit like that because I think it would have added more to what he was going for. As he was talking about, like, the ode to that, like, genre and that, like, era of music. I think had he had a bass player who was in there more than just Tom going. Because Tom probably just went and go, I'm just playing root notes over. Like, he 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 played bass on that record like a guitar player who plays bass plays bass. Who just thinks yeah. that it's just that it's just fucking root notes. And he's like, oh, it's just fucking yeah. bass. Like, it's just root. Like, I'm just so, going to play root notes. Then I mean, as soon as I say this one line, you'll probably know where I'm going with this. But let me ask you this then: uh, as I said to you the other day, you being more of like the the punk rock historian of the two of us for sure. Who do you think could have added uh, a dynamic to the bass playing of this that would make it still boxcar? Ooh, but but just add a little bit more of that 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 bite to it because i don't have an answer but it would be interesting to know your view on it because this, you this is a great fucking question history. this is a good question dude i i have to think for a second okay one comes to mind and this could this could entirely just be because of fucking skiba now but i'm not even fucking around when i say this i wonder if danny would have been good because Danny comes from the same fucking like like of alkaline trio like he comes from the yeah. same kind of like background but he does different shit. You know what I mean? He's not like Mark Hoppus where Mark plays pretty straight shit. Danny does add in like different fills and like there are alkaline trio songs where the bass is doing more than the guitar is. Like the guitar is just playing fucking power chords. Oh shit, we lost him again, folks. Wait, one second, we just lost Kyle. This is what happens, folks. 
Just, I don't know what is going on. <laughs> the fucking the the powers that be don't want us fucking talking to Mark Hoppus. Just fucking cut off the Mark Hoppus <laughs> keeps cutting our line. He doesn't want us talking about this record. It still hurts. I, I, yeah, I think I think uh, I think he's read my text that I sent to you the other day about bringing up plus forty four, and he must have somehow gotten into my phone and found out that information. He's tapping the lines, dude. He's tapping the fucking lines. That's what it hurts is about. Actually, is is the song it hurts is about the first time Mark heard Boxcar Racer. Just <laughs> that, that was, that's what that song. Why am I roasting Mark Hoppus? I love Mark Hoppus. Right? It's tough but love. No, like, as you were saying, yeah, yeah. But no, as you were saying about uh, Dan's bass style, because now that you said that, like, not that I'm fully picturing it, um, but I can definitely try, like, kind of just thinking about some of these songs, like hearing some of his just unique, like, running bass lines yeah. that he throws in. And like you said, he does more on some songs than what the guitar is doing, which I think is great, especially for, you know, bass players everywhere. They need more of that. So yeah, that'd be cool. I I wouldn't know what it would be, but it would, that's an interesting thought. I didn't even think about that. I mean, my thought too comes from Dan. I know listens and is influenced by all those bands that Tom was trying to like, go like, this is a, this is an ode to, so it's like Danny would be able to get in that mindset. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he would be able to uh, kind of be in that. And I mean, that's just off the top of my head. I mean, it's a great question. I'm trying to think of other, cause I'm also thinking of like contempt, you, you know, who one actually would probably be good, even though at the time he wasn't in the band, it would have been, it would, well, actually, fuck, I forget. He plays, I think he plays bass for angels and airwaves now, but I was going to say Matt Rubano of taking back Sunday is another one because oh, he's someone who's like, cause I'm just thinking, yeah. I'm thinking of bands who are at least kind of in this same era and range. You know what I mean? Like I'm thinking of bands yeah. from that era who would have toured with them or at less or at least kind of been contemporaries and shit. And those are kind of the people I'm thinking of, like Dan or I mean Matt, because Matt's another one who is really a classically trained fucking baseball. Like he's fucking like from he's like a Berkeley dude and like really plays interesting bass lines. This is another one who I think is influenced by a lot of the bass players who played in those bands who influenced boxcar racer. So it's like, he would yeah. be, he could be a really interesting one. Cause he's not one to play root notes. Like he would not play anything like Tom played on that record. His playing would be totally different, but that's funny. Cause I totally forgot. I actually think he's their live bass player. Now, if I'm not I, mistaken, I, I he plays so. with them. I think he does now, or at least has done some recording stuff with them at least. He's played with everyone now. He was in the All-American Rejects for a minute. He played with fucking Patrick Stump when Patrick Stump was solo. I saw him live once, and he was uh, the bass player. He fucking uh, – actually, no, people forget he played uh, bass on the big Lauren Hill record. I forget the name of it, but, like, her really big record. Whoa. He was like yeah, – he was the studio. He was the studio bass player on uh, her big record back in the 90s. Wow. The the re- the The education or the miseducation of – of a uh, Lauren Hill, like yeah, like he he was a fucking session. Huh. He's a session bass player. Like he knows his shit, so he would be, he would be a good one. I don't know. You really have me thinking now. Like that's a great question of like who would actually be in it. Because I would like to see that. Because like we were talking about, like Travis came in and yeah, then it, in the beginning it was kind of like Tom just needed a drummer, but Travis came in and went the extra mile. 
And that's kind of my thing with the bass players. Like, I would have liked to see a bass player come in and go, well, yeah, I could just play this underneath that. I could just play what you're playing on bass, or I could actually fucking do, like, cool runs and shit like that, you know? So I don't I don't know. I would have to think of more, but those two come off the top of my head is, is maybe would be good ones. Cool. But hmm, like oh, you know, the the other thing I would say about this song, I guess I guess we're kinda of get like closing remarks on a tiny voices. I could hear this on Untitled. I actually think this I don't know, like I like your opinion on it, you know, if you agree or not, but like I think the bridge to this song is very blink like and I do think, and once again, I'm coming from that person who heard Untitled before I heard Boxcar Racer, but I think I could hear this song on Untitled. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you think, but I could hear this on Untitled. Uh, I, you know what? I, I ha- I've never thought about it, um, never considered it, uh, but now I'm trying to listen to the song in my head right now. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's kind of another one of those I feel so like I, I can kind of picture it, but not really. Can I but tell you where I would put it though? Here's what I have in my head and it's almost specific. Ooh. I Ooh, would, okay. I okay. would put it as track two. I want you to think of feeling that, because it would be a more upbeat song on untitled. Cause the thing is it doesn't sound like the more downer songs. Like I would not put it on side B. I feel like okay. maybe track two I feel like if you went in from feeling this into tiny voices would actually be a fucking really good one to punch. Let's see here. I'm I'm listening. I'm hearing it in my head right now. Let's see. And you can tell me I'm fucking nuts. Uh, you know what? I know I, I can kind of I can hear that riff following the end of feeling this. And it's very specific, dude, because when I think about it, yeah. I don't know that it would fit many other places. That song would not fit after, like, I Miss You. It wouldn't fit by Down and shit. I think it would fit as, like, track two. But you know what? To be honest, feeling this works really well, but think about it. Where else would feeling this fit on Untitled? Think about that for a second. Feeling this would sound fucking weird anywhere else on track one. It's it's kind of different than a lot of the rest of the record. And that's that's kind of the blink thing, though. Like, I can't picture like really any of their number one like tracks anywhere yeah. else. Like, could you imagine like Dumpweed anywhere anywhere else? Fuck, you're right. Yeah, dude, you are right with that. I don't I don't know that I could. There's, yeah, there's it, really not. Yeah, you know what? Now that you say that, none of their or, albums are coming to mind. Where I'm like, I could see like track one being this other track. You are right about like, that. I mean, I can picture like, like, like we talked about on the top five. Like, if, uh, if, uh, what is it? Oh my god! Um, don't tell me that it's over. Like, I could picture that being track one, like on that album. But that means yeah. Anthem Part Two wouldn't exist. Then yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I wouldn't know where to put Anthem Part Two then, because Anthem Part Two is such an intro song. Like, even if it was track it two, of- it would sound fucking weird. Like that being a track two on an album would sound mm-hmm. fucking odd. It would almost, what you would have to do almost, you would almost have to have a song, like kind of like what we were saying on, um, I think it was on, uh, yeah, it was on uh, The Insomniac, where like, like Brain Stew and Jaded like go together, you know, like perfect. Or like um, the Panic song, like that bass intro, that whole intro 
goes into the actual song itself where they might have been two separate songs. The only way I can see Anthem Part 2 being a song somewhere else, if there was something that built to that, like, drum snap to guitar intro. Yeah, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it would have to, Yeah, it would almost have there to be... There would be some sort of intro to it. Yeah, like, like even if it was a different song, they would have to, like, work them together. Like, the outro mm-hmm. of the first song yeah. would have to work into the intro of Anthem Part Two to work, I, yeah. I totally get what you're saying, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, man. I mean, any anything else for a Tiny Voices? I mean, it's a great fucking song. No, I'm actually interested to see how you think about this next song. I was thinking the same thing with you, with uh, <laughs> because Cat Like Thief. Well, I'll start. I actually really like this song. I le- I feel like this is probably the most polarizing song on the record because I feel like you're either gonna like Tim's parts. Or you're not like I feel like he's the big reason why we're both wondering what the other one feels like about this song. Like you're either a <laughs> yeah. fan of what of what Tim Armstrong's doing in this song, or you're not. Like that's just the thing. I don't think anyone kind of likes it. You're either gonna like it or you're not. And full disclosure, I mean, and I know you because you're fucking. We've talked about like Operation Ivy being like you know one of the bands that got you into punk. Like we both know Tim Armstrong prior to this. Like. Like, you go in knowing who this is. So it's like yeah. you, you already know his voice. You know his cadence. You know how he does it. If you don't, you might go, who's this guy having a stroke while he's singing this song? <laughs> like, why is, why is this man having a stroke in the vocal booth? And why isn't somebody helping him? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, man. That is... That is great and terrible at the same time. Why, why is Jerry Finn not helping that man? Somebody, somebody call 911. This guy's having, Jesus. Yeah, no, this song, like you were saying, it's like you either love it or you hate it. And I, like, there's kind of an in-between, but it's more like there's times where I love it, at what Tim Armstrong's doing, and there's times where I'm like, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> okay, there's one like, part. There's Well, actually, here, you go on, and there there's one part I've written down of my criticism of this song with him. Okay, so the, the, what I'll say first is this. I don't know if this is a true statement or not, but I heard this a long time ago, and it it's just been a factoid that stuck with me. Maybe I saw it on Music Choice as like one of those little pop-up notes. Oh, fuck yeah. I um, loved those. But Yeah, but I saw somewhere that when Tim went to do vocals on this song, they, they recorded him for hours doing the lyric, like doing the, either the, the intro to this song or just the whole song in general. But at the end of all the recordings, they just went and took the first tape that he did. Really? Yeah. Like I could, so I don't know if that, so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that they just ended up just using the first take of his when they recorded him (laughs) so many times. And the only other thing I'll say about anything of the vocals, because it's, I've known this forever and I've never been able to figure it out. Where the fuck can you hear Jordan from newfound glory on this song? Dude, I just finally heard it today because I'm the same way. And then you realize it is him harmonizing with Tom in the chorus. I always think it's just Tom doing that. But if you really listen I, and you have to listen really carefully, you got to listen really carefully. 
But he actually, which to be fair, he should be up more in the mix, but he does sound really good harmonizing with Tom. I actually wrote that down because you normally can't hear it, but when you know it's there and you do finally hear it, it sounds really good together. Like their vocals almost mesh together to sound like one voice. But I do think he should be brought up in the mix way fucking more than he is. Because that was the only thing I can think of is that he was in like like a, a, a layering of like like the like the whole "Don't Leave Her." Like he is part. The, every, the the entire but, every chorus that's him singing that underneath there with Tom. But it, I I was never able to decipher if that was him or not. So I even now I'm like in my notes I literally just put where is Jordan? Can I, can I tell you what's funny though? I up until today I'm telling you I finally heard his voice today. And when I was getting ready, I'm like, wasn't Jordan on a song on this record? And then I looked on Wikipedia, and it said Cat Like Thief, and that's when I was destined. I was damned. I had to find his voice in it. That's when I – like, I'm not kidding. Today's the first time I really heard it in there. But, like, I couldn't okay. even remember what song he was on. I'm like, I just remembered that Jordan was a part of it somehow. I'm like, am I crazy? I'm like, I'm pretty sure he sang on this record. And then I looked it up, and it was Cat Like Thief. And that was my reaction, too. I'm like – what fucking part is he singing? And then if you actually listen, I think they're kind of in the same range. Like, once again, the reason is he's not in the mix well enough. He should be brought up more. But I think another part is their range, vocal range, I think is kind of similar. And they really do. They're almost in unison at times. Like, it almost sounds like one voice. Kind of to their compliment, really. I mean, actually, like, I think that's really cool, too. The choruses, I think, are one of the best parts of that of that song, uh, meshing those all together. But, like, mm-hmm. kind of going back, though, real quick, like, with, with Tim, I mean, because it's just such a big part of the song. You can't talk about the song without talking about that. For one, I don't know that it's a bad thing that they used his first take because he sings in such a unique way in his phrasing <laughs> that I don't, like, I think trying to, it's kind of like I was talking about earlier, we're trying to do something a certain way. Like, once you force him to sing it away where you go, You know what I mean? Like you do take one and then you start referencing take one is like this is the way it's sung. You start doing that where it's formulaic and it's like you're trying to sing a certain way. Then you fuck it up and it's not as genuine. It's not as good. I can see where Tim Armstrong would be a guy where if you just let him go in on track one and just do his fucking Tim Armstrong thing, that's probably going to be the best take. Like so I could see that because like like, this is an interesting one actually – Fucking uh, uh, shout out our buddy Zach who did the uh, Blink-182 one with us. We're actually going to have him on this one. But what I realized, I, I, I kind of feel bad too because too, I told him he would uh, do this with us. But I started thinking about it. And last time me and Kyle here did uh, the Green Day album analysis, that's like a four-hour episode for two, <laughs> for two people to get through. So I was thinking if there's three of us going through this record – it's going to take six fucking hours. Like this is going to be a mini series well, if there's three well, of us. Yeah. Well, technically, well, I'll say this just for for my sake of this end of the joke. He is here with us. He's just very low in the mix. <laughs> oh fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't hear him. He's just really low. He's kind of the Jordan Pundick of this episode. He- he he's, he's Jordan in this episode, basically. You can't really hear him. It's featuring it's featuring Zach Gorsheski. You just can't hear him anywhere. He's just harmonizing so well with he, he's harmonizing so well with Kyle that you can't hear him underneath. Like him and Kyle, just yeah. it sounds like they're singing in unison. But it, but but me and him have uh, 
We've kind of been on we've kind of been on freeze just because my voice has been fucked up. I was gonna I was gonna take a crack at uh, covering what's my age again, and we got we got as far as the vocals, which I don't know. I'm not a great singer, so I don't know how I'll do. But anyway, we're talking about different songs to cover, and Cat Like Thief is a big one because he's like we like the Tim Armstrong parts. I'm like I would love to try to do it because I'm like you can't even try to do Tim's parts. You have to try to do something else because if you tried to sing that and mimic Tim. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I don't fucking like. It's not gonna sound good at all. Like, if you tried to copy that and tried to replicate that, which is also going to why I think they took track one. If you try to replicate well, that, it's not gonna fucking sound pretty at all. Well, and what's also really, I'll say, what's great in like a funny way, but like it kind of annoys me when I do try to look it up on occasion. Is that if you look up like boxcar rates are live and they have cat like thief. Tom does not sing Tim's parts. Wait, who does? I didn't know they even played this live. No one. What the no fuck? One. They just play that part like instrumentally, and then Tom comes in like I wrote it down a list a month ago. Yeah, he just comes in like that's what the, the first thing he sings. Who the I blame painkillers on that. Who the fuck thinks that sounds good? Who would do that live? What the and, fuck? That sounds terrible. Tom. <laughs> Yeah, it, and again, like, hey, it's not easy to repl- try to replicate Tim's no, voice. so don't so do it. Just been all- I know, but don't play <laughs> hey, that song live. They, they, they got to fill a 45-minute set, man, <laughs> and when you only have a half hour's worth of material, you got well, to do something. That's when you pull out the Barry Manilow covers, which I got to say, that cover of Mandy, I would love to hear. Have you ever heard that uh, that live song they did, Mandy? It was a cover of a Barry Manilow song, but it was really yeah. fucking good. I'll have to revisit it because I remember that. And, like, what's the other one? Like, Dance With Me, right? That was, like, the yeah, other song. Yeah, that yeah, I forgot did. there was another I, one. I, yeah, I wasn't a fan of those, and I I kind of disregard them just because, like, they were only done live. And they're very shitty so recordings. Like, I will say that. Like, if people yeah, wanted to go hear so. these, they're only dog shit recordings out there. Like, the, the only ones yeah, that exist so. are really bad. Like, imagine – Imagine a cell phone in the year 2002, and that's what it was recorded on. <laughs> like, these are not, like, board recordings. These are not, like, bootlegs. These are somebody fucking told, pulled out their flip phone that had a recording yeah. capability on it and recorded it off with there. Like, with, like, uh, two megapixels top. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, this is not this is not quality of any way like when we say live versions all there is is fucking live versions and they sound fucking rough i do like the mandy one though i will i'd say it's worth going back you know what though dude if you weren't into them the first time maybe there isn't much to go back to revisit because kind (laughs) of like what we're saying is like they're just kind of live versions so it's like i don't know man if you didn't like them the first time i don't i don't know that you have to rush back and listen to them but uh yeah Yeah. i i getting back to this song though like why the yeah, fuck would it, you even play this live? Like, if you're, yeah, not that I think that that they well, need to have somebody try to take on Tim's parts, but just don't play this one live. This is the song you don't play live. Yeah, yeah. So like, I can totally see that, and like, it's not. It's it definitely wouldn't be my first choice to like add to a set list. Um, but I would say that there's two things that I can really highlight off of this song, and it's just Travis's drum intro. Yeah. Again, it's nothing. It's nothing crazy, but he does like that little open like hi hat, like open close like hi hat hit, and it sounds like even to this day, like I loved it as a kid, and like way before like re reviewing this album, like every time I hear this song, like 
I have to at least hear the drums of the song. I can hear the drums and be like, eh, I don't want to hear Tim's part. I'll just skip to whatever song comes next. But as long as I hear that drum intro, like I'm totally stoked. And actually the outro, which is a, 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 another one of these little precursor to AVA, because they do that really uh, unique delay guitar outro. Yeah, dude, I wrote on here the flanger guitar effects on this song and just a lot of the guitar effects are very Ava-like. It's not even the way they're playing them. It's just the guitar effects, the guitar tones. And that outro, too, I wrote, I wrote, I I give credit to Jerry Finn because it's very much a a product of being in the studio because, like, all this shit's layered. Like, it's this great outro. Like, everything's fading. And, like, then you get, you know, you get all those vocal tracks on it and shit, like, it's probably one of those ones where if you actually went and looked at the master, I wonder how many tracks are on that. Like, I bet even just Tom doing the don't leave, like, that's layered itself. That's probably quite mm-hmm. a few just Tom. To, that's just Tom on Tom on Tom on Tom. Like, that. Like even just in that, like, I bet there's a lot of fucking tracks there that you wouldn't even realize. Like, really, if you if you started looking at the master of that, I bet that outro is fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I love it though. I love the outro. The out, like, very, like honestly, like the intro and the outro are so good that like when when I get annoyed, like the times where I'm like, <laughs> eh, I, I really don't like Tim in this song, the intro and the outro can put me through it. See, and and what I what I will say about Tim, one thing that sticks out, I don't know who wrote the lyrics to this, but. Do you feel like, let me know if you feel this way, but do you ever hear a line in a song you just go, they couldn't think of a line, so they just had to say something? Those very last um, lines where he does, let's like. Or the, the countdown? Yes, four by four, let's do some more. I'm like, all I can think of is yeah. they couldn't think of anything that fits there, and that just kind of fit like the vocal melody. That 100% yeah, sure. makes no sense, it, has nothing it, to do with yeah. the rest of the song. It's fucking, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, and the the only other thing I'll say about this song, and it, it, it is about Tim, is that I remember when I first heard this song, like, on the record, because at this point, like, most of the songs from here on out, like, the first time I heard them was, was listening to the record, mm-hmm. but I remember hearing this song, knowing it was Tim Armstrong, because I had some history with Rancid and Operation Ivy, and I remember hearing his voice and being like, I haven't heard this guy's voice in, like, 10 years. <laughs> Well, maybe not 10 years, but I'll be like, yeah, probably since like the mid nineties, you know, like, and I was like, holy crap, this is the guy from Rancid. He's still like doing music. Come to find out that they, yeah, they were still doing music. But I just remember being like, this guy's still around. Like, isn't he like (laughs) fucked up on heroin? (laughs) (laughs) I know at that point, I don't know if he was clean or not at this point. He might've been still fucked up. No clue. (laughs) No idea. (laughs) Maybe that's why he sounds that way. He's just strung out singing this (laughs) Um, that's what he meant by let's do some more. That's that line. Let's do some more. (laughs) Yeah, he was, people don't know it. He's shooting heroin in the vocal booth while he's singing that. People. No boy. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I, myself, I'm pretty much, I I got all, everything out on this song. You know, so that, and I mean, I will say, like, normally, though, you are, I mean, are you normally a Tim Armstrong fan? Like, I, I, I normally you are, right? Or no? Yeah, yeah, it was, def- yeah, 
I, it was just, just one of those on things. This. Like, I, yeah, it was just one. It was kind of like a shock, being like, "Wow, Tim Armstrong's on this. Wow, okay." And it's just like I said, there's times where I'm like, "God damn it!" Like this is so good. And then there's times where I'm just like, "Eh, what are you doing?" And I think it just depends on my mood. Because another thing I would wanted to bring up about this whole album is that this is very much one of these albums that I can listen to no matter my mood, whether I'm happy, sad, upset, whatever, excited, I can listen to this album and just feel good the entire, I can feel whatever I want to feel listening to this album. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I think you're right about that. It's one of those ones where, and it's not my first, like, I love this record, but there's a, I'll tell you, there's times where I just forget about it. Like I'll go a long time without hearing it, but anytime I put it on, it's always the right time. There's never a time where I put it on and I get to like track two or three and I'm like, nah, fuck it. I want to listen to something else. When I put it on, mm-hmm. I put it fucking on. Like I'm going to listen to the whole thing. Like for sure. Yeah. There's two records that I can listen to no matter my mood. And it's this and it's tell all your friends from taking back Sunday. Fuck. Yeah. That's a great, you know, that's one I've not listened to in a while. And that is another really good one. That's yeah. a, that's a fucking great record. Mm-hmm. No matter the mood, I'm always feeling it. It that that is that is a fucking yeah. These the, both of those are good examples of of uh, that. This song, I mean, I, I guess as we're uh, as we're kind of closing up here on this one, I gotta say though, I actually do like this song, and I definitely like it a lot more than you because what I did write down, kind of like when we were talking about Insomniac, like you know, like on an album where there's like that three song punch where you're like just back to back, you really like. I honestly mm-hmm. think. My favorite three song sequence on this record is watch the world into tiny voices into cat like thief, which you, which I think oh, now, okay. I mean, hearing you, I mean, you know, cause you gotta be in the mood for this one. You, you probably don't feel that way of this is the strongest part, but this is my, and I like the album. I mean, I like the whole album, but like those three songs, I feel like that sequence is like where I'm like, I'm most into this record in my opinion. I will say I, it is technically my favorite three song, like, you know, section. But not your favorite songs one. on the records. No, no. Um, well, so this song, Kelly Thief, is in that three song, like, like sweet spot. Mm. But I'm, it's, just, it's, it's an adjustment to where yours is. Mine starts with Tiny Voices and ends with And I. Oh, shit. Okay. Okay. I see where you're going with that. Well, then, uh, I mean, you want to then move on? To and I, yes. should we go on to the next song? I, Let's yes. start off yes. this baby then. This I feel like should be uh, then, which I mean, for one, the fucking drum intro, goddamn. But let, let's fucking get into this, man. Yeah. So this might be one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, fuck From yeah. From any band, any artist, any genre, anything. When I see people on Facebook that are like, hey, send me a song to listen to and add it to my playlist or blah, blah, blah. Give me a song that like you really love. I'm always posting this song. It's never like, oh, what Blink song or what Newfound or whatever. It's always this song. It It's one of those songs that like, as far as like me as a musician goes, this is that one song that I wish I could have written. Like, not just like, oh man, this sounds like a riff that my band wrote, or this sounds like something like we could have done at some point. This song is like the epitome of like 
what I would have loved to have is like my, my song that was just mine that I could write and say, I can claim forever. Um, everything about it. I just love the, the, the drums in the beginning, the, the, like the little sweeping octave riff that he's thrown in there. And even like the, the lyrics of this song, it was just like, I felt like it was another one of those, like, it's super relatable to me. Cause like, I felt like the whole song was just being about being unnoticed by people and who you would like to have as a significant other. And no matter what, like you want this, but you can't have it, but there's something that's always going to help you through it. Mm. And whether it's your friends, music, you know, your favorite movie, your family, when you're in a tough time and you feel like everything that you want or everything you need can't be uh, accessed, there's something there that can help you through it. And this was like emo Kyle, like (laughs) everything that I needed in my life at that time. That was like just the, I, I can't explain it. It was just everything that I wish I had as a musician, as uh, like personally, when it came to like relationships with people and girls and this and that, it just, it, it, it put together everything that I wanted in music and in life. That's fucking cool. That's, it, it, that's a really good. I like that. That's a great, like, cause it is a great fucking song. And I think really it's, it's one, I think you've, like I've never thought of it. Like I like that song. I like this song. I guess I've never thought of it as deeply like if you have. But you're absolutely right. It's like it's such a strong fucking Tom song. It's not one that I think of a lot, but when I really do, like including like you're selling me on it. It's like, goddamn, like it really is one of his best. One thing I gotta say too, like his phrasing on it's amazing. Like I love the way. Oh goddamn, we lost him again, folks. One second. Fucking Mark Hoppus keeps cutting my goddamn line. This is terrible. It's fucking Hoppus, dude. It's goddamn Hoppus. He won't stop. He he needs to get over this fucking album. I mean, it's like almost twenty fucking years old, dude. Like, get the fuck over it. Right? They wrote an album without you. You got to sing on fucking Elevator. Like, quit cutting my fucking phone line, bro. God damn. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. This is like, more I'm, passive aggressive than releasing. No, it isn't on Tom's birthday. <laughs> Maybe if I cut them off enough, maybe the audio <laughs> would be so bad that they just can't release it. It'll never make it all right, Mark. You'll never make it all right. You, you keep cutting all no, the fucking uh, lines you want. That album will never go away. Yeah, because my phone is just literally just sitting on my table in front of me this whole time, so I'm not even touching it. Dude, it's hoppers. Um Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, as you were saying like about this song, just, you know how how my expl- explanation of it now that you're seeing it oh you're selling it maybe man a different way. <laughs> no you're selling and it it's was, just so fucking oh, good man. it's 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 really fucking good and like the one thing about this song that i remember blowing my mind the most cuz it was the first time i ever noticed it was i remember listening to it in class and i had like one headphone in and one headphone off you know, while doing homework, whatever it was. Ooh, this album, there's a lot of fucking going back and forth with the speaker or like with, you know, your fucking right, your left and right side. And, and that's where this like blew my fucking mind. I'm sitting there listening to the song, just jamming it out. And yeah, it's 
the palm the, 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 yeah. that like palm muted part like each little chug is alternating speakers and i'll sit in there in class and like i freaked out because i'm like oh shit <laughs> something's wrong with my cd or something and i looked at it and i went and played the song again and like i just put both headphones in and all of a sudden i heard it and i was like and I remember doing the whole, like, one headphone in, one headphone off, one headphone in, one headphone off. And I'm like, holy shit, it's switching headphones. And it was, like, <laughs> the most mind-blowing thing, like, I ever experienced. Because up until this point, I just had a stereo in my bedroom. And, like, it wasn't a good stereo. And so, like, I heard everything just at one time. So I never had something to, like, exclusively seclude the noise yeah. from, from it. Because it was just... Yeah, it's just what it was at the time. But yeah, that that part, like, I remember blowing my mind as a kid. And that might have been the reason why I loved the song so much to begin with, because of that one thing. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. I mean, I, I any time I can say more good shit about Jerry Finn, I do. And, like, that's the thing on this record is, like, I, I was listening to it, getting ready for this on, like, some pretty nice monitors. And I was, I was fucking blasting the thing. And you start listening and you realize, yeah, like, how much shit is panned, like, how many things are layered, like... Like, you know, it's just really an album where it's not just like a guitar, like one or two guitars, a bass, drums, and like one one or two vocals. It's like there's really layered shit. Like even the guitars, like some guitars are right in your face. Some are really pulled back. Like like they're just really all over the place. And it's once again, you know, uh, really just what a good producer, you know, fucking Jerry Finn is. You know, those are, those are fucking things you do in the producer's chair. You know, definitely like things that – were probably his idea for it that like you know add to the song um you know mm-hmm. just another really well produced one that that bridge is the best part and i think i love the chugging and it's like it's very blink like but this song like what what is your opinion i know you love but like i think this is a very blink like song but what i think is interesting about it is two things i feel i'm gonna go back to this thing or i'm gonna ask you if you feel like it can fit on a fucking record tell me if i'm nuts if you don't if you don't agree with it say you're fucking nuts I think this could be a take off your pants and jacket B side. This is maybe the one song on here where I think this could be a B side to those sessions. Could you see that at all or no? Uh, I'll say you are not fucking nuts because you are. <laughs> oh, okay. Totally accurate. Like definitely a, a toy page B side of sorts, or it could have been like one of those like six hidden tracks, quote unquote, that they released separately. Yes, that's what I was kind of thinking of him in, like, you know, like if there was like a fucking fourth set, like I don't know what the what the dirty song would be, but this would kind of be the uh the serious one. Yeah. And the but yeah. the other funny thing about it is is two things I wrote that it could be a take off your pants and jacket B-side, but there's also something about this song and I think it's just it's not even the song itself. It might be the way that like it's kind of the rhythm section actually because I think it's the way that Travis plays in the choruses with where he plays his ride cymbal a lot and it's the bass but I almost feel like there's elements of neighborhoods on here maybe that part's fucking crazy but there's also parts on this song I think it sounds more I don't think it sounds like a song on neighborhoods I think it has elements of songs that I hear on neighborhoods but I think this song could fit on take off your pants and jacket like the I hear both sides of them though in this. Like I don't know if you hear neighborhoods at all. Maybe that one I'm fucking nuts on. But the take off your pants and jacket, I think it could have been on that record. Like 
fucking period. Yeah, I I never really thought of the take off the pants and jacket thing until just now, but I I can't picture it in neighborhoods era. That doesn't mean it wouldn't belong. I don't I think it would fit. It. I, I just hear elements. I, 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 yeah, okay, yeah, or elements. Like, even like I guess trying to think of elements right now, like nothing's coming to my head immediately. But that might also just be because like I've loved this song for like what it is. That even the take off the pants and jacket thing, I didn't really think about till just now. So like I've only exclusively thought of it as just a straight up boxcar racer song. Yeah. So like trying to add more elements in my head right now is like messing with me. But, <laughs> I'm like, fucking with point, you, dude. Like, I'm, I'm... I I I. I, I at this point, I can't hear elements of neighborhoods, uh-huh. but that doesn't mean they're not there. I'm throwing too much at you at once, but like, <laughs> like I, dude, until really like today, I don't think I thought much of the blink thing. But like to bring it even further, I was listening to it and I could hear in my head Mark harmonizing at the end with Tom at the very end, like that, and oh, uh, yeah. like at the yeah. very end of mm-hmm. the song, mm-hmm. I could fucking hear Mark on that harmonizing yeah. with him one hundred percent. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely could see that for sure because I, I didn't write it in this part of the note, but I did write that besides uh, elevator, that there could have been another song that Mark could have been featured on more prominently, and this is probably it. Yes, I, I think, I think so. You know, and actually, I just, I just want to jump back for one second while we're on the, while we're on the subject of Mark on this record. But this is this please is don't, a, hang, don't, please don't cut off our connection, Mark. <laughs> please, Mark. This is a positive. This is adding you to the album. <laughs> watch, watch. It's not going to get cut anymore. You definitely the phone is not going to get cut while we now verbally jerk <laughs> off, Mark. But it, actually, it's not even verbally jerking him off. But like, I'm just thinking with Cat Like Thief, I would kill to hear that song recorded with Mark doing the vocals instead of Tim, and not doing it just oh, like Tim. Be- wouldn't it be cool because, once again, it goes back to he couldn't just do what Tim oh, did. Yeah. He'd have to do his own fucking oh. thing. But and, imagine and that I'm song. Picturing, and I'm picturing, like, very low monotone Mark. Yes, yes. Like, especially on the self-titled, untitled record, he does a lot of those. That like, melancholy like, kind of mono, kind of, like, ba- yeah. very bassy, low. Like, yeah, I love that. Yeah. If all oh, I can totally picture him doing that on on Cat Like Thief, that would sound so sick. I wrote on here, I would kill for that. So yeah, I mean, if anyone, Mark, if you're listening oh. to this, I will murder someone. I don't know if it'll be a drifter, <laughs> if it'll be like a specific person. I don't know who I have to murder, but uh, let me know, and uh, if we can get that done, you know, fucking <laughs> fucking, we'll go in there. What if he goes in and he just does a does a Tim Armstrong impression though? <laughs> like he doesn't do it serious. It's just Mark Hoppus. Would, like, you know what? I would, you know what? I would accept that. I would, I would laugh. Or actually, they think he's doing a, a Tim Armstrong uh, impression, and actually turns <laughs> out Mark Hoppus is having a stroke in the vocal booth. <laughs> he wasn't doing a Tim Armstrong. <laughs> he wasn't actually doing a Tim Armstrong impression. <laughs> Oh no! He's oh, actually. No. <laughs> Let's do some. Uh, oh my God! He needs help. But yeah, I just wanted uh, to get. Oh boy! I forgot to bring that up when we were talking about cat like thieves. So I, I'm happy you can. You're hearing it too, because at least at least it's justified bringing it back up. But it they're like. But like I said too at the beginning of this, asking you like if you listen to this album and like pinpoint parts where you're like this sounds like Ava, this sounds like Blink. It's hard not to listen to this album and not interject market times like it like. You sometimes oh, just have to. You like there's 
What song was it? Oh, you know what? I think it's All Systems Go is another one, which I didn't say it during the thing, but I had written down. The chorus is somebody's harmonizing with Tom, and it literally sounds like Mark. Like, I know it's not Mark, but it sounds like Mark harmonizing with him. Like, any, you know what, though? Even Are you, Okay, I think I know what part you're talking about in the chorus, too. Yeah. Like, you, just the, like when he says, like, the can't get fucked this time. Yes. Like, yeah, dude, it sounds yeah. like fucking Mark's under there yeah, with him. I, I can, yeah, I can picture that a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> and, like, yeah, like, so... Huh. I I was going to say I do it with Ava. I don't really, but you know what always sounded like it to me? Do you hear Mark and do it for me now? I swear at the end that hold on to me, whoever's singing that sounds just like fucking Mark. And obviously it's not. They fucking hate each other. But I think that sounds like Mark in that song as well. Yeah, no, I don't think I've ever made that comparison on that song. I've thought it since the beginning, which actually, funny enough, that was a song, not the first, that wasn't my first Ava song. But that was the first song that I actually – I didn't hate the adventure, but I just thought it was okay. I didn't listen to – I didn't go grab We Don't Need to Whisper, though, until I heard fucking Do It For Me Now. That was the one that actually really got me to be like, oh, okay, like I'll check out Tom's new shit. That one kind of yeah. finally got me to do that. But, uh, but yeah, anyways, getting back, I mean, uh, anything else for Andi? I mean, the fucking great song. No, I just – I just, I just, I, I wouldn't change like a, a single thing about this song and I can talk about this song for a while, but I've already kind of got out everything that I've wanted to get out. <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes side a of the boxcar racer record. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the power cord hour podcast and shout out to my buddy, Kyle Steven for uh, always coming on and doing these. I have such a blast with him. And uh, this was very fun to do, and uh, we'll have side B for you. I mean, this is this is just like you know any time that we've uh, talked before. We uh, get into it and uh, we go a little long, so we are going to cut this one in uh, half. And I decided, yeah, we'll cut right here because, in my opinion, this is kind of the end of side A. And uh, you know, I don't I don't even know to be honest, like if this is technically the end of it. But in my opinion, this is this is a transition. I think Letters to God is uh, really the beginning of side B. So uh, next week we'll be putting that out. And uh, once again, my buddy Kyle Stevens, so that'll be up here. But uh, until then, give us a follow online at Power Cord Hour on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're on YouTube. Shout out to you if you're listening to it there right now. But you can find our page there, all our past podcasts and uh, interviews and a bunch of different content on our YouTube page. Check us out on Spotify. We have a music playlist up there from the radio show and Power Cord Crash Course playlist, bunch of others. And uh, as well as you can listen to the podcast there. And uh, yeah, and hit me up, PowerCordHour at gmail.com. I have more PowerCordHour stickers to give out, so hit me up with your address. I'll send you one out. And uh, uh, subscribe to the show. And uh, if you go rate and review us on iTunes, send me a screenshot of that uh, review, and I will send you a PowerCordHour t-shirt absolutely free. So uh, yeah, until next week for the PowerCordHour, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thanks for listening. Oh, and happy birthday, Tom DeLong.